Aw, oh, Doc, a podcast? I just got the truck waxed by Biff. Forget about the truck wax! You're gonna be waxing everything you want when you have this podcast! You don't understand, Marty! Wait a minute, wait a minute, Doc, what do you mean? What, watching what? Watching movies? Yes, movies! Well, we won't watch them, we'll talk about them, but that's not important right now! What's important is that we have to get back to one year ago! Ah, 2021, Doc. Do we have to go back and start a podcast? I think my partner's gonna make too many inappropriate 9-11 jokes. We're gonna confuse monkeys with apes. Doc, this isn't feasible! Forget about all that right now! Hold all those thoughts! Here, put on this surgical mask. Believe me, they're all doing it in 2021. You'll blend right in! Come on, Marty! Welcome to the one-year anniversary extravaganza of the Movies for Win podcast! It's been a year. We've been making it for a year. Yeah! Welcome back, everybody. They one said, year celebration. I'll bet they'll never make it, but it looks like we proved them wrong. What a hit. <laughs> I'm in a singing yeah, mood dude. this evening. I see that. Hey, it's, it's, yeah, it's clear. You've got a new energy. You've got, we've been doing this for a year. You, it looks like you've rearranged your entire toy slash podcasting room. You're a whole new man today, buddy. I didn't even think about it. It's our one year anniversary, and I finally got out of a love seat with a laptop and microphone balanced on my lap and into a <laughs> desk that we never used that used to be about 10 feet away from this spot. Yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned for the second anniversary where we introduce video. Uh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm getting a rolly chair instead of a dining room table chair for uh, for the second year anniversary. Video, probably oh, fourth nice. or fifth. They say... You can have my... Sorry, go ahead. You can have my old one. I, I just bought this new desk chair. Oh, shit. Because I work from home sometimes. Do you, really, do you have one you're trying to get rid of? Uh, yeah, it's, it's okay. I'll take it. I'm sitting on a dining room chair right now. More on that later. All right, buddy. <laughs> Will our heroes exchange we'll chairs? <laughs> this is what the people come here for. They want to hear about movies, get some good jokes, uh, celebrate a one-year anniversary, and hear us talk about chairs that are in the rooms we're in. <laughs> I know. It's they believe me. It. If you could see them, if we got the YouTube videos up, you would see how interesting these chairs are. But it doesn't quite translate to audio. <laughs> No, sir. <laughs> All right, Denny. All right, it's it's been a year, buddy. Yeah. Last week, it, last week was all about the fans. We were coming up on the one year anniversary. We wanted to celebrate the people. You all picked three awesome movies that we got to talk about. That was a lot of fun. So this is episode fifty of Movies for When, and this is Movies for When. You've been doing a podcast for a year. Pew pew pew. Our first episode ever was movies for when you want to start a podcast. I think I should have looked that up. Sounds pretty slippery. Movies for when you're starting a podcast. That's probably us. Same thing. <laughs> I think I prefer movies for when you want to start a podcast. That's more us, nope. you know. Yeah, I got to make sure I didn't actually type that now. Oh boy! All right, yeah, <laughs> we like movies for when you want to start a podcast. Um, yeah, at the time we were trying to pick accessible movies, relevant movies, <laughs> that stuff lasted. that people had seen, <laughs> enjoyable stuff, and two, we were two-thirds nail, nail, hitting the nail on the head there, mm -hmm. you know? So that influenced our picks for this week. Uh, so episode one, we discussed Back to the Future. It's a fun, engaging movie that basically everybody's seen. 
we discussed the silence of the lambs which is kind of a more serious movie but a lot of people have seen and it's very highly regarded and we picked nomadland because it had won the most recent best picture award at the academy awards and people are still talking about it a year and a half later oh wait everyone forgot about it (laughs) not us (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's, oh, it's something I always look at with, like, Best Picture winners. You know, it, it's like, is anyone still talking about Million Dollar Baby? But how many Not other movies one. from that year are people still talking about? You know, like, that's that's kind of what, that's what I weigh it by. Yeah, that that tracks. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. so, so this week we are kind of following up on these things. We're doing Back to the Future Part 2. Woo! We are doing Coda, which was now the most recent academy award winner for best Wait, picture that's not a sequel to nomadland yeah nomadland 2066 is still in the works so gotcha. we couldn't do it this time so that maybe in a couple years this makes when... so much more sense when you're not wondering where Frances mcdormand went yeah she's busy <laughs> shitting in a space pirate slave ship so. gonna have to change my score for coda really quick <laughs> <laughs> oh what coda been and um <laughs> That's dumb. No, that was good. And uh, lastly, but not leastly, maybe, we've got Hannibal, which is the sequel to Silence of the Lambs. Uh, Yeah, more on that chronology later. Uh, First things first, we are going to talk about the other stuff that we watched this week. Denny, please... Go ahead. Tell the people what else you've been watching. Um, Well, let's see. I finished Barry, which was phenomenal. Um... I think that was this week. Yeah, yeah, it was this week. It was this week. Not that it fucking matters. Am I going to get called out on my notes? Um, yeah, you're like an old man telling a story. <laughs> was, that, was that Daniel J or Daniel G? <laughs> 1986? No, wait. 1984? No, wait. <laughs> That's absolutely going to be me because it already is. Um, I only watched uh, two, two movies this week um, other than the ones we did for the podcast and it was uh pan's labyrinth which Ooh. blew all of my very high expectations out of the water um i thought it was an absolutely fantastic 50 out of 50 movie for me um i wow. i did not expect it to be that effing good um and uh since i was in a guillermo del toro mood i also watched chronos because it was uh another one of his that i'd uh gone way too long without seeing and i also really enjoyed that movie um not 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 quite as much as pan's labyrinth but it was really good i enjoyed it so i've been in a guillermo type of mood this week all right um yeah what what, the other things i watched uh really quick i watched a new podcast from our our friends the really random r-a-n-d-u-m-b colton and drew they're back they're back 10 month hiatus has been broken they're back awesome yeah so they made a podcast they gave us a little shout out too they drew mentioned our uh, our live show nice and that he liked it and then they got drunk so it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was a it was a very fun episode so love those guys uh, the other thing I watched was Lightyear. Ooh, I, I'm on the fence. I think that's a wait for streaming, but I, I'd love to hear your your general thoughts. I'd call it a wait for streaming. It it was it was fun seeing it in theaters. 
just because like I got to look around. Well, I texted you before the movie started that it was nothing but Disney adults. Yeah. <laughs> but then like families came in with kids, and I like there was like a kid with like a full size Buzz Lightyear toy. I was like, shit, that kid rocks. That's yeah. So cool. Brought his buddy to the like, movies with him. Yeah, he had him. It was one of the those theaters that has like a table in front. It wasn't Alamo, but it was still one that had like a dining. Mm-hmm situation so he had the buzz light your toy on the table in front of him for the whole movie i was like man this kid is having the time of his life that's what it's all about totally makes it okay that the movie was kind of meh it was fun though i had a fun time um the only other thing i saw was uh speaking of perfect scores i rewatched everything everywhere all at once yeah and i have changed my score (gasps) from a 39 to a 40. No way! <laughs> no! This is huge. Greg, how many movies have you ever given a 40 out of 40 to? As of now, two. So there was one, now there are two. <laughs> this is mind-blowing. It's like, yeah, I gave it a 39. I think I said during our episode where we talked about it, I was just like, I want to rate it a 40, but I need to watch it again to kind of solidify feelings or see how it stands, yeah. like, on a rewatch. And I liked it more, so <sighs> naturally the progression of something, you know, second highest score possible, liking it even better the second watch, I think I understood it a lot better. I had a lot more fun, was a lot more emotionally invested in so many things, so it got a 40 out of 40 for me. Dude. Fun fun times i've i've been rooting for you to find something that you loved as much as no country for old men i just yeah, wanted too. you to find another movie you liked that much i did it like what, what else would i give this movie come on man but yeah yeah it's it's very exciting nice. there's like two extremely different movies <laughs> that yeah. i like for extremely different reasons but i'm still propping them up as perfect movies for me and for anyone who gives a shit what we think about things uh that makes Everything, everywhere, all at once. The only movie we have both given uh, the highest possible grade you could give it. Mm-hmm. That is the highest rated movie uh, between the two of us. Uh, Denny has had a few perfect scores, and this is our first matching perfect score. So pretty awesome. Hell yeah. That is a good piece of trivia to remember for the future. Speaking of trivia, Denny. Oh, God, no. <laughs> oh, God, oh, yes. my, oh, God. As soon as you said trivia, my eyes got wide. Yeah, he froze in fear. Oh, God. <laughs> Denny in the headlights. Oh, It's no. ambush trivia time, Denny. Oh, my God. What's up? What's up? What the fuck's up, Denny? Oh, this is... It's time for ambush trivia. I did not see it coming at all. I thought for sure I'd be on my guard next time. I was minimally expecting you to have done the same thing, and I was kind of hoping you would also have it, but I was like... There's no way he would think to do Ambush Trivia for a one-year anniversary. So I was going to do it topic, for Friday the 13th, but Matt and Sam came, and ooh. I was like, this episode's going to be way too long. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and they would have just answered them all correctly for me. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> Our topic this week for Ambush Trivia is Movies for Win. It is a, an award-winning podcast that's been going on for roughly a year. Denny, are you ready for Ambush Trivia? Yes, I'm, I'm ready to do... Uh, the the fourth most narcissistic thing I've ever done publicly. Let's go. <laughs> Hell yeah. That high. Uh, 
Yeah, man. So you know the rules. There's ten questions. You get six of them right. You are a good Denny boy yes. for every question above. Well, five right. Five right. You're a good Denny boy. Every question you get right above five makes you a very, and we add more varies for every question you get right. So you could be a very, 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 very good Denny boy. I think I would. I'd start to doubt myself and think I didn't deserve it if I got that many varies. <laughs> <laughs> well, the future is in your hands. Let's you go. control your own destiny. You control your own destiny with question number one, which is, Denny, can you name the hosts of Movies for Win? Greg Work, The Legwork, Johnson, and Denny, The Talent, Taylor. Denny, that's correct. Yes! You one question right. You, you were paused long one. enough that it made me doubt if you had some absolute mindfuck of a trick question, like... If you were going to say, like, we were looking for Apple Podcast and Spotify, but good try. <laughs> RSS.com. Uh, you didn't include Vanessa, therefore no points. She's a producer. Uh, but, but she's also spoken here. All right. No, no, no. you got it. You got it. So <laughs> Question number two. Denny, including this week's three movies that we're about to cover, how many films have we covered on this podcast? This is multiple choice. A, 124, B, 141, C, 108, or D, 133? Let's see. Three times 50, which this is episode 50, correct? Yeah. Is 150. But I know we did not do three movies every week, so let me think back to our single movie episodes I know there was Pig, mm -hmm. Pulp Fiction. Mm -hmm. What are my What are my choices? Can you read them back to me? One twenty four, one forty one, one oh eight, or one thirty three. Damn! Hold on. What the fuck? My math gets me at one forty eight. Am I crazy? I am bad at math. You are crazy. That is true. Um, single movie episodes, or did we? I'm going to go with 141 because it's the closest to what my math would have given me, and that's how I passed uh, up through junior year of math. <laughs> hey, man, guesses get you far, but unfortunately, this was a bad guess. What? The, the answer is 133. How, how was it 133? Well, we had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven single movie episodes. Oh, Jesus. And we had the Oscar episode where we covered no movies. Fuck. Yeah. Wait, we didn't cover movies in the Oscar episode? Did we? We talked about movies, but we didn't have like a movie discussion and rating session we just talked about the oscars in general oh, okay what uh, uh yeah. what are our, what are our single movies i only remember two <laughs> uh mac and me unbear the live show oh the one where you and vanessa talked about hook we got cats muppet christmas carol pulp fiction and pig wow okay that makes a lot more sense yeah i was starting to doubt the math when you're talking it out and then i looked at the spreadsheet again i was like oh okay no yeah, yeah. <laughs> i didn't forget to notate things all right, Denny, unfortunately, you got that one wrong. Shit. You are one for two. Okay. All right, question number three. What movie has the largest score discrepancy between the two hosts? 
Also multiple choice. Is it A, American Psycho, B, Trick or Treat, C, The Country Bears, or D, Wet Hot American Summer? A, American Psycho. How do you say it? That's a bingo? Ooh, in America we just say bingo. There we go. Bingo. <laughs> there we go. What fun. Yeah, it was American Psycho. <laughs> I, th- I thought that would be a little bit of a softball for you. Yeah, well, it was it was recent, but honestly, that was an iconic enough discussion that <laughs> I think I think I would have remembered it. I hate that discussion because I hate I hate myself sounding that negative. It wasn't that negative. You didn't like the movie, brother. I just didn't like. Okay, whatever. <laughs> I don't want to be negative about my negativity, so we'll go to question number four. Denny, which episode has the most downloads to date? What is our most successful episode in terms of downloads? Movies. Oh, wait. Go ahead. You're going to give me choices? No, no, that's it. No, that's... Do you know it? Yes, with a special thanks to Don Denham, Dylan Derryberry, and Phil Van Hoek. My answer is movies for when it's a clusterfuck. Episode 37, movies for... Movies. Movies. <laughs> Morbies for when it's a clusterfuck. Yeah! That is the correct answer. You are three for four, my guy. Such a clusterfuck, you can't even say the episode title right. That's how much of a clusterfuck it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know it's good. All right, Denny, question number five. What is the lowest rated film in our podcast history? Cats. Denny, the correct answer is Cats from 2019. Well done. Yes! We both had a unanimous one. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. What a, what a deserved <laughs> score. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, side note, I changed... Um, I started adding pictures for contacts in my phone because on the Samsung phone, it just automatically has like a circle with the letter of your first name and then a color. And I had like my dad drew you denny and like another d and they were all like different shades of blue and i couldn't (laughs) i couldn't adjust the shades of color so i just started adding pictures so the picture i had for first of all for drew is a screenshot of one of their podcast episodes where he's giving the middle finger to the camera (laughs) with his shirt off iconic and then the one I picked for you is you giving the camera a middle finger also when we were watching Cats. Yeah! <laughs> Perfect. So that's how you show up now. All right, Denny. Question number six. It comes with a hint. Okay. Who is the number one worst enemy of movies for win? And the hint is it is not Davis Couch. Oh, shit. Um, the worst enemy of movies for win. Other yeah. than enemy of the show, Davis Kalk. Front Row Joe! Front Row Joe! He's our nemesis! Right, it's her. Davis Kalk is enemy in title only. Front Row Joe is an enemy of us. Yes. As people, not just a podcast. He's a glad handing, gold bricking bastard. <laughs> Who's craning his neck to see the screen? I don't know how he follows what's happening. <laughs> At Alamo Draft House, they have recliners, so sitting in the front row allows you to still see the movie without visiting a chiropractor. What the fuck is wrong with you if you're doing that at Cinemark? Joe, don't know. <laughs> he's he's not allowed there. All right, Denny. Well, you're five for six, so that makes you a good Denny boy. How many varies do you think you got in you? Um, I'm gonna shoot for four, which is the maximum. I didn't want five because I told you 
Um, my, my inferiority complex would, I'd have to talk about it in therapy if I got five, but I think. Well, I, I tripped you up with math, so. Yeah, that it. was, that was dirty. <laughs> math and memory. Fuck. What you just did was dirty. <laughs> I could have done worse. I'm a counselor, not a counselor. I talk about feelings, not numbers. Ugh. You think I became a therapist because I'm so fucking good at math? Do you know what I could do with this natural knack for empathy if I could only count? <laughs> do you know how much money I could make? I count. So. All right, Denny, question number seven. <laughs> Go ahead. Moving on, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't count on you going on that so hard. Um, That's what she said. Nicolas Cage is a universal icon and deity that has been discussed at length on this show and was even the subject of our very first live show. How many Nicolas Cage movies have we discussed on the podcast? Multiple choice. A, five. And I got another math one for you here. It's counting. A, five. Fuck you. B, seven. C, nine. Or D, ten. Well, I'm going to have to consult my spiritual guide, the Nicolas Cage mermaid pillow that was right behind me. Um, and oh my God. if only we were on YouTube... Um, let's see. What, which, how many, how many movies do you remember us doing, Nick? Um, well, uh, there were, we know we did Pig. That's a given. Uh, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, uh, a recent one. Vampire's Kiss, uh, and of course there's always Con Air. Um, but do you remember the one where I was a fucking magician, okay? Uh, that was, what the fuck was it called? Next! 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 Next, next yeah. That's, I couldn't think of it either. Okay, Nick, that's five. I forgot he was a magician in that <laughs> I was like, wait, which one? <laughs> that's five. What are, what are my choices again? Uh, five, seven, nine, or ten. All right. So I'm at the lowest possible I could get, right? I at least got to one mm -hmm. of the choices. Um, oh, fuck. So you've got Pig, The Live Show, the trust. and then the three from The Cage Match. The Trust. The trust. Good job. That's six. That's so six. five is out. Um, fuck. Shit. compelling audio i know all right there's, there's a there is a huge one that you're missing a huge one uh what no, i don't know i picked <laughs> seven i picked seven no wait what <laughs> seven is my answer no 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 no. there's a okay i wanted you to guess the movies oh wait wait let me see if i can guess then um but there's only a huge one that i'm missing this isn't a clue. That's not. I'm not giving you a clue. I'm telling you that there's a big movie that you are missing. Okay. Big Nicholas Cage. That's movies. all I'm trying to tell you. God, why am I freezing up so much right now? Why can't I fucking think of a Nick Cage movie? I've, all I've done is think of Nick Cage movies. We didn't do Ghost Rider. I would have remembered that. That's all I think about yeah. is Nick Cage movies. <laughs> we haven't done National Treasure. Um, yet. Yet. We did do Treasure Planet. Um, so there's that. God, uh, we didn't do Fast Times at Ridgemont High. We did not do Red Rock West or Matchstick Men or um, the fucking Weatherman or the Family Man. We have not done Bad Lieutenant Port of Call. Or the or Wicker Man. Or the Wicker Man. It's a lot of mans. Um, or um, Bangkok Dangerous or Gone in 60 Seconds or The Rock. 
Uh, I'm thinking it's got to be earlier. We did not do honeymoon in Vegas. We did not do leaving Las Vegas. We did not do Peggy Sue got married. Um, Jesus Christ. Uh, we did not do, do, do you... raising Arizona. Uh, <laughs> we did not do. <laughs> this is incredible. This is Mandy. Like <laughs> there it is. Oh my fucking god. <laughs> In my top five favorite movies of all time. I, Mandy. I could not believe you weren't getting it. All right, I'm going to go with seven. Mandy. Denny, the answer's nine. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> no. I just I'm named like kidding. 45 Nick Cage movies we didn't do, and you're telling me I didn't name three? Uh, two. What are, what are... Adaptation. Ah, oh, shit, and that counts twice. <laughs> and jujitsu. No! <laughs> I really just wanted you to get to Mandy. I knew you would have been so mad if you didn't remember me. I would have had to, like, re <laughs> retire from the podcast in shame if I didn't remember Mandy. Our first and last year of podcasting. <laughs> it ends here. We're not even going to finish the trivia game. Okay. From Due to colossal embarrassment, Denny has left the podcast. I have, uh, I failed my higher power. I know that much. Hey, it's okay. You're still a good Denny boy. You've got a chance to add some varies. Denny, are you ready for question eight? Because we spent too long on this. Not enough varies could make up for what I've done to disgrace Nicolas Cage in this way. I'm sorry. But go on, yes. Question eight, if we must. If yes. life must continue. <laughs> life uh, finds a way to move on. Question number eight. We've made it clear that we love our audience. In fact, we, we even let them pick a theme for one of our episodes. What is the only episode where we let the audience pick the entire topic slash theme of the episode? Oh, shit. Oh, fuck. I don't remember what they went with. Um, uh, John Hughes Blues. Movies for when you've got That's, the John Hughes Blues. That is correct. Yes. Movies for when you have the John Hughes Blues. Yes. A case of the John Hughes Blues. Yes. All right, Denny. Question number nine. We have been doing this podcast for one year. That is 52 weeks in a year. This is episode 50, so that means we have missed two weeks. Why? Give me the reason for the two weeks that were missed. Well, since you want to rub it in, um, one was uh, because I had COVID, and two was because I had a tattoo appointment that took uh, from uh, 9 a.m. to 9.30 p.m., <laughs> That's right, Denny. Uh, I had COVID slash holiday break. I think we took a break for like New Year's, but yeah, it coincided with you being very sick. Yes. So. <laughs> we were going to do something, though. I remember I had to. we had to cancel it. We were going to do like a Q&A or something. I think that was way later. Who can remember? I don't know. I, I only researched for the questions. Denny, last question. Question number 10. What should the people rate this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts? Well, they should rate it the same thing that Dave Meltzer rated Shawn Michaels versus Razor Ramon in a ladder match at WrestleMania 10 to unify the Intercontinental Championships. Which was two thumbs up, oh. <laughs> five stars, five, five stars, stars baby. on Apple Podcast, Spotify. Leave a review, and I'll give you a hug. Oh, yeah, he will. He'll do. Oh, it I'll hug us. you. All I'm right. a hugger. You know why he'll hug you? Because Denny is a very, very, very good Denny boy. Ow, ow! 
just enough confidence to not cause shame and rejection of praise. <laughs> All right, Denny. That was, that well, was a well good done. ambush trivia, Greg. Thanks, man. I was uh, I was really happy putting that one together. <sighs> I was itching for more more trivia. All right, Denny. We've looked back one year into this podcast. Are you ready to go back to the past? Yes, I am. Part part two. Technically, it would be part negative one. Part negative one. (laughs) The future part two. (laughs) Are you ready to discuss Back to the Future part two from 1989? I am ready, Greg. I'm very ready. I'm I'm eagerly anticipating this. I've got a lot of shit to say. Excellent. I hope so. I'm glad you do. All right. Before uh, before we talk about it, you can watch this movie on Peacock. It is available to you to watch on Peacock. I'm sure once you're done rewatching season five of The Office and then not continuing continuing further because the rest is garbage, you can uh, get to Back to the Future Part Two. But I had this on Blu-ray. We got it like I got my wife a three Blu-ray pack with all the movies, and we watched it there. Nice. Great time. Lots of very fun. nice. We're gonna dive into that bonus disc one day. One day, oh, yeah. Greg. One day. Denny, do you do you want to do you want to summarize the plot? Oh, I'll summarize you, this you, sweet little plot for you. Um, you you did all three plot summaries last week. I was very proud of. Oh, you. did so I really? I'll let you take. Yeah, I didn't even notice. Like, <laughs> let him run. He's got something to say. All right, it sounds like you got something to say here. So, Denny, please let us know. What Back to the Future Part Two is all about. So, Back to the Future Part Two, the only movie to start with the end of another movie and end with the beginning of another movie um the whole movie itself is in the middle of those two things um so basically after about five minutes in the future um doc comes back to marty and jennifer and says we have to go to the future there's something up with your kids um jennifer you know starts asking a lot of questions being annoying so doc immediately ethers her um (laughs) which he reveals that he brought Marty back, uh, back to or forward to 2015, um, and uh, there's all this shit going on. He has to get recruited by Griff to um, to do a robbery, um, but then reject it because his his own shitty son will accept it. Thankfully, in this timeline, which we'll get into later. Um, Every member of every family looks identical, just older or younger, so the prank totally works. Um, Or it would have until Marty McFly gets called a chicken, punches someone, yada yada, hoverboards. Um, And then uh, we find that Jennifer uh, is being taken to a hospital or her house or something, and uh, they go into Marty and Jennifer's lives, and it turns out it's uh, not so nice. It's pretty shitty um their their dad is a different guy even uh but he looks and dresses the same (laughs) um and uh basically they in this time marty steals this is how dense this gets in the future that i'm now just getting to what actually causes the movie i was like where where does the conflict come from uh and then i was like ah marty tries to steal a sports almanac um so he can get really rich and bet on the outcomes correctly from the future um but that that squirrely old biff tannen from the 50s gets it takes it back to his past self and then we find out that because of that when we get back to the original 1985 uh biff runs the fucking world and owns marty and his mom as as sex slaves uh implied with marty um (laughs) 
kidding. Uh, oh boy. So then Marty's like, well, this fucking sucks, and Biff tries to kill him, and then he does the Aladdin thing, but technically I guess it's the Back to the Future 2 thing because this was before Aladdin. And then they have to go back to 1955 to stop Biff from having the sports almanac. And you would not believe how hard it was for them, these fucking people who can build time travel DeLoreans to, like, procure a fucking piece of paper from an idiot. Um, that was quite difficult for them. And, uh, and then when everything's set right, uh, wouldn't you know it, the damn DeLorean goes on the fritz and, uh, they, Doc gets transported back to the Old West, right? Am I remembering that correctly? Is that the plot? Yeah, man. All right. <laughs> You got it. Cool. <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. It's a very complex movie with a lot of back and forth. They just they wanted to make a sequel and they just jam-packed every goddamn last thing into this movie. Yeah. And you know what? I like that. I did too. I, I, if it's, you're going to be a blockbuster, be a damn blockbuster with some pride. Yes. You know? Yes. Reference yourself by literally putting yourself back in the original movie. How fun is that? Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, like we did with our podcast. Ah, haha, you see? We learned from the best. All right, well, Denny. We learned um, from Bob Zemeckis. I don't know. I'd say he's the best. We do love Castaway. So what's, what's, what's your relationship with this one, bud? You know, I don't really have much of an interesting relationship with this movie. Um, it's one of those where I'm like, I don't really remember the first time I saw it. I wasn't in love with it, but I did think it was pretty cool on October 15th, 2015. Is that the date? Um, October 21st, yes. I think. Uh, October yeah, 21st, somewhere. 2015, um, if I'm not mistaken. Um, when? Yep, it is the 21st. When they did all that cool stuff with like the hoverboard commercial that wasn't real, and they released a documentary to celebrate that... Uh, this entire franchise is now in the past. You know, like, there's nothing from mm. the future in Back to the Future anymore, and there hasn't been for a while, which is uh, pretty crazy. But that's about the extent of my relationship with it. I had a lot of fun with it on that day. <laughs> and I think it's pretty neat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, really no relationship. I think I saw it for the first time maybe three or four years ago, honestly. Mm -hmm. I think I saw... I don't remember what I said my relationship was with the first one during our first episode, but it was like I watched it a long time ago and they didn't rewatch it until like mid to late 20s. And then same thing with parts two and three. I think I watched parts two and three back to back, but uh, we'll talk about part three in another year or so. So, yay. That's <laughs> I'm not looking forward to it. I really dislike that one. Okay, save it for a year, buddy. <laughs> Put a lid on it. No spoilers. All right, Denny. Um, this... It sounds like you've got a lot to say. I kind of want you to introduce the first topic for discussion in this movie. You you mentioned in our first episode... Oh, I just said that I want you to introduce it. You, so you know where I'm going with it. it. <laughs> now that I think about it. <laughs> so I'm going to interrupt myself and you by saying... Do you think that this movie improves upon the first movie in terms of giving marty an arc in any way no absolutely not uh, okay <laughs> he doesn't learn anything ever he's the most arcless character i've seen in my life however i, I don't think that's bad like i'm like i, I actually noticed it because of a video i watched of like what to do with an arcless protagonist and they cited this as a source um you know and it's like usually 
the protagonist has a lie that they believe and they need to overcome it. Um, the arcless protagonist needs to have a lie that the world believes. Um, and then they need to like teach the world about that lie, right? Teach them the truth. Mm -hmm. And I think Marty was able to do that pretty well in, in the first one. Um, I hadn't thought about this question at all, honestly. Um, I would say that in this entire film series, Marty learns absolutely nothing to the point that like, despite it happening 50,000 times, uh, people easily provoke him by calling him a chicken to the point that in 2015, it seems like the whole town knows you can get that guy to like sabotage himself or do anything. If you just call him a chicken, um, that never, he never learns from that. He never learns from anything. Your uh, so, father hates being called a chicken. God, fucking, they love making Lorraine spout lore. <laughs> like it's Lorraine. Like, ah. Hey, there it is. It was there right it there, is. buddy. Come on. What What did you think about Marty's arc? I I think I came to agree with you for the first movie that I think he doesn't really have an arc, and mm -hmm. it doesn't matter too much to me. I think I'm more willing to look past it than you. But in this movie, he does have an arc. He learns that time travel isn't a tool for personal gain. He's told that he can't manipulate the past with sports betting, and he says, okay, but I still want to. And then he sees firsthand the damage it causes, and he learns. And this lesson is something he will carry through in his life and allow him to have healthy relationships. Don't mess with time travel. Okay, <laughs> so Denny, that Marty, was that was sarcasm. <laughs> oh, okay. I was like, so Marty accidentally had a small arc, um, yep. which, for the record, the reason I dislike Marty isn't because he doesn't have an arc. I'm actually like, hey, that's just kind of a a neat little thing about Back to the Future. You know, like the mm -hmm. hero doesn't really grow or change much, and I don't think he need. Well, he needs to, but that's not from a screenwriting standpoint. I wouldn't say he needs to. Um, I dislike him because he's an annoying, stupid little shit who, like, can't understand anything. Like, he's dumb as a sack of fucking bricks, man. And he wants to fuck his mom. Um, that didn't change. He did not have an arc of, like, learning to resist his mom's titties. Um, he immediately, as soon he as he, he grew saw up her, on that, man. Come on. <laughs> nah, Marty's got bottle-fed energy, man. Uh, <laughs> Maybe maybe that's why he liked his is, mom's tits so much. Is that yeah. an insult? <laughs> Dude, you were bottle fed as a kid. Oh, we we get to 2015 and like immediately, just like when he got to 1955. As soon as he sees her, he just is like, "Oh my god!" Oh, for some reason in the past or the future, my mom's titties make me really horny, but not in the present. It's the worst they ever looked in 1985. I, th uh, <laughs> I thought, yeah, I thought that's when we, he went back to 1985 the first time and she was like, you know, she had like plastic surgery. Oh, yeah, surgery you're right, you're right. So, yeah, it's, it's the alternate present version of her. Holy shit. This just connected a dot. In the hashtag infinite biff theory. Ooh, do tell. Well, that's kind of a big question, Greg. So I'm going to have, but I'll, I'll tell you the dot that it connects at the end. Okay. Okay. Um, Cause it really did just, it brought it all full circle for me of why they're doing what they're doing. Okay. So for casuals, uh, the infinite biff theory is something I noticed on our watch of back to the future that no matter what timeline they go to, 
there must always be a tannin and there must always be a mcfly and they must constantly be giving each other shit um and the the amount of power they have is indicative of the light or dark of the timeline right like it's like in the good timelines george mcfly is like rich and crushing it and in the bad timelines biff rules the world right um this is so there there are these ancient gods these these dualities that are forced to tangle with each other forever um but what we didn't know greg what we didn't know was why um we couldn't figure out why why these two why in hill valley and why for the infinite why must this happen well i think i've pieced it all together greg um so the first thing i noticed in this watch through was that this is a universe and a town where for some reason everyone looks exactly like their parents like no no genetic mismatches at all nothing changes love it and they constantly reference their entire family history everywhere they go and every time they talk apparently everyone is just like telling you as like, one does four or five generations worth of of who they are and how they came to be in their the in the position that they're in now um then i started to notice something that that really pieced it together no matter what timeline you go into the town seems to be a mobilized hive mind of ai that is meant to maintain the balance of keeping biff and mcfly fighting and the reason that they are mobilized in this way is because the two things that are universal constants that have to exist are the tannin and mcfly family feud and the clock tower those are the two things that the townspeople are interested in they're always obsessed with preserving that clock tower that was struck by lightning in 1955 it simply has to be there even decades later right um so this is this is what i think is happening here um marty and doc accidentally opened up a way bigger problem than this franchise could cover when when they went back to make sure that marty rejected the offer to join the gang right or to to do the robbery they didn't realize that they would also need to make sure that Biff asks Marty to do the robbery. Otherwise, the loop would be unclosed, right? Marty would just be at a diner doing nothing. Mm -hmm. um, Biff has to ask Marty, or Griff, excuse me. This is Griff, real fucking creative. Um, and uh, You so, think that family would be creative with naming? I think this is totally acceptable. Okay, fine. Um, <laughs> but... Um, so as we know the timelines are infinite right and as soon as they fuck with them at all infinite possibilities start unraveling right um and so they marty and doc are these kind of like soulless custodians that have to travel the infinite and maintain every single detail of the mcfly biff continuum right otherwise this singularity where biff asks marty to do the robbery and marty rejects it doesn't happen so here's the real question right what are we preventing <sighs> well greg you might notice that when the timeline initially gets disrupted that clock tower no way it makes it into into biff's pleasure island right like that thing's gone they built a hotel over it um 
You may also notice that in the timeline where that wasn't altered, it was the only timeline that Marty doesn't like his mom's titties. Um, the original 1985. <laughs> Doc had to do this to keep Marty from 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 liking his mom's titties. That's that's why they're doing it. But there's also other explanations. Um, so there's two there's two real key points here, right? Two key points that you need to keep track of, and that's that. So. Clearly, Biff is 2016's Donald Trump, right? In 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 their it happens in 1985, right? And you might notice that the world looks very bleak, a lot of gray, a lot of realism. Um, not not the kind of world you'd want to live in. Kind of like our world, where there was a Biff Tannen by a different name, right? Um, and you know what else happened in our world? Because you might not have noticed this in the bright timeline where they went straight to 2015, 80s and 90s fashion progressed. They didn't change. They, they, um, they, it just looks like an 80s future in their 2015. And you might ask yourself, well, what small decision could possibly stop 80s and 90s fashion from progressing? I'll tell you, Greg, I'll tell you what stopped 80s and 90s fashion from progressing. It was 9-11. Um, as soon as that happened, <laughs> mm -hmm. The zeitgeist around pop culture, style, movies, music, all of it, fucking out the fucking window. And then, before you know it, we got Biff Tannen running the fucking country, and every neighborhood is a fucking shithole because the working class is completely alienated, right? And so, this, we live in a timeline that is so fucked, like, this is how bad they fucked our timeline Back to the Future is is fiction in our reality, okay? It's it's not even real. There's actors playing Doc and Marty. This is the infinite we're talking about here, Greg. And you might ask, why haven't they come to rescue us yet if they're these soulless drones? And the answer is simple. Because Doc is busy making AI townspeople to preserve the clock towers and all the timelines. He just hasn't gotten to all of us yet. And... What I'm trying to say is eventually Doc and Marty are going to fix this timeline and Ska will just be back and we won't know why. It'll be like it never left. We'll, we'll have all of these memories and in this timeline there will be a clock tower, no 9-11s, and Marty won't like his mom's titties. But if you destroy the clock tower, Trump slash Biff happens, incest porn happens because of how much... Marty likes his mom's titties. And yes, we do get a 9-11. That is the hashtag infinite biff theory. Write a book, man. More like make a YouTube video. Write a book. Just kidding. Thoughts, feelings, reactions. Books suck. <laughs> uh, I like that we saw Einstein a lot more in this movie. You're just gonna not react to the fucking infinite Biff theory? This fucking intricate web I just wove of of the, the fucking redefines yeah. the nature of our reality. I'm not a fan of webs. I walk into them and they I'm just like ah, get it off my face. I'm offering you a reality with no incest porn and no 9/11s, and you're just well not moved by it. One out of two ain't bad. 
I'll let the viewer decide what I'm talking about. All right, so... <laughs> Spoilers. He was talking about what Marty was thinking when he saw his mom's boobs. I should... <laughs> <laughs> In this timeline, Marty was <laughs> Al-Qaeda terrorist. <laughs> Hoverboarded his way to the front of a plane. Um, for the record, uh, those listening... Um, I don't mean to mock the lives of anyone lost in 9-11 or those affected by it. I'm simply fascinated with it as a turning point in our culture. And I do mean to mock the way that that absolute tragedy has been used to justify even more atrocities <laughs> committed in the name of freedom. So, Greg, does my theory check out? Work with me, man. Work with me. It's hard to work, man. This is, you're, you're throwing a lot at me. You're, you're telling me about like the fabric of my own reality like and i just wanted to talk about a fun movie with some time traveling people and a dog and you know simple greg simple simple greg boy am i you know the you know the the infinite biff theory actually requires a very high iq to fully appreciate so i i, I understand well, I am very low IQ because I don't watch Rick and Morty, so... Um, <laughs> well, damn. I worked really hard on that, and I'm kind of impressed with myself, so... You should enough. you should be impressed with yourself. It's just, I, I need time to process, I think. Listeners, vote for Marty's Mom's Titties, 9-11, or Skull. <laughs> you can only have... You can only have one. <laughs> keep or erase i don't <laughs> to keep oh my gosh all right man uh you want to get in, back into the movie a little bit here all right fine fine <laughs> einstein was in it more einstein was in it more i like dog yeah he still wasn't in it enough though that was one of our biggest notes from the first movie that's true uh what's your favorite thing from the 2015 as told from an unchanged progression of 80s and 90s fashion and culture man i love that whole sequence man that's like that's my brand of like fantasy reality um uh there were a lot of brands <laughs> a whole lot of brands in that time well that's uh, true today so <laughs> yeah yeah there were also screens everywhere and 80s nostalgia which is also true today mm -hmm. and a lot of stupid sequels that's also true um Weirdly enough, I think my favorite thing is how Biff moved with his bionic implants. You know, like how he would kind of glitch. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> or Griff, how Griff moved with his bionic implants. I really enjoyed that. Um, what about you? Or Doc's trench coat. I love that Doc runs around in a, in a, in a raincoat from the 50s. <laughs> That's nice. It, it suits him. Yeah. What um, you got? I like the idea that... So when Marty goes to buy the sports almanac... The lady's like, oh, with it, I'll throw in this dust buster. Remember these old things? Haha. <laughs> you might need it because this book came out before we invented dust-resistant paper. <laughs> because paper is the only thing that gets dusty. Why the hell was that invented? What are you talking about? <laughs> hey, guys, we stopped trying to improve paper in, like, 1995. Paper was over. <laughs> That's... Oh. I just thought that was so funny. Dust-resistant paper. Like, ooh, another little nugget of what the future might hold. Yeah. <laughs> Ho hoverboards and paper that doesn't get dusty? Cool. God. 
Also, does paper really get that dusty if you, like, keep the book fucking closed? Like, what are you talking about? Um, I don't know, man. And how much dust would be on the floor if if paper wasn't catching it? <laughs> if all your household objects wouldn't collect it? Um, I, I will say, I love so very much, I love a good analog future. Um, there's just something so charming of, like they couldn't comprehend digital you know like it's like you see it in so many movies where it's like they know there will be screens everywhere but they can't like they like they like in their house well yeah they're like pulling down a projector screen for like for facetime calls in the house Mm -hmm. you know like they they can't imagine that that could happen on a tiny digital device or a digital device at all like it's a it's a bigger future, you know, like a, everything's much less compact and you have to press a press a physical button to do anything, which is just, it's always seemed like it had a lot more style than a digital future to me, you know? Like, I, I wish I wish we were going around mashing more buttons, like it was Mortal Kombat 3 in an arcade. <laughs> That's right. Oh, man, that rolls. I want to give some, uh, some love. Speaking of Biff, Griff... And uh, whatever his name in part three is, Jif, maybe. <laughs> Thomas F. Wilson. He is the, we you know, you referenced the infinite Biff theory. I think the actor is just incredible. He's the golden thread in all three of these movies. And I Absolutely. Think hilarious and talented and, like, sometimes unrecognizable, even though he's, like, made... <laughs> and, like you were saying, like, these are just descendants and, like, family members that are made to always look like one another yeah but he just like changes according to the time period that the movie's set in i think i think he rules in all of these movies but especially this one yeah it kind of blew my mind because i assumed that he was older by the time they made this movie and then he like he's in the obvious older makeup i knew he wasn't that old but then like you see him in in the 55 world and i was like holy crap he is super young still you know mm-hmm. like very very passably young um i'm sure he wasn't like high school young but like it was young yeah. enough that it was believable looking you know yeah, like more it was crazy more believable than like minor characters in greece or whatever so. yeah. <laughs> no he really like he basically did like four different characters in this movie um between griff original biff old original biff young and, and darkest ultra, timeline biff alternate right? biff yeah yeah <laughs> like he did four different characters and you know who were supposed to essentially be identical and serve the same purpose and yet he gave them all uh he gave them all a little bit of unique flair you know it came across really well and uh I actually kept track. He got the chance to work in six separate buttheads. Um, there were nice. six buttheads in this movie. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was, I was yeah. counting along, yeah. Good for so, you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he, he was asking for more, and they were very willing to give them to him. Um, there was something really cool that Vanessa caught, like a fucking eagle eye. I couldn't believe she saw it and couldn't believe she was right. Um the kids in uh, the cafe that make fun of Marty for playing an arcade game that you have to, like, physically touch, um, mm-hmm. one of those children is Elijah Wood. It's his first film credit ever. Whoa. You see the kids for, like, two seconds, and Vanessa was like, is that Elijah Wood? And I was like, you got, you fucking gotta play what? This ga- you gotta play this game with your hands? Yeah, yeah those yeah. kids. 
That's him. That's Elijah Wood. Oh my god. And Vanessa totally like you blink and you miss those kids, you know? <laughs> like mm-hmm. she's I was amazed, man. Hawkeye. Um and then she said, I know that little hobbit when I see him. <laughs> She's Vanessa's a really big Lord of the Rings fan. Now, now that he's the appropriate size that we know him as, <laughs> it's like, of course that's him. It's funny because I was going to make a joke to her, like, and he hasn't grown at all. And then I was like, he wasn't really that short for Lord of the Rings, you fucking idiot. <laughs> I still want to make the joke sometimes. I felt like a fucking dipshit when I thought about that joke. <laughs> oh, man. Well, yeah, I guess there's not too much to say on this movie. Well, there is a lot. I, I don't know how much more you have. I think you laid it all out in your Biff theory. <laughs> yeah, um, I think this is a great sequel because, you know, you make a, a sequel to a time travel movie. You're just like, okay, so now we go to the future. But, like, you know, you would expect that to be the whole thing is like, oh, we went back to 55 and then this movie you're going to go to 2015 30 years the other way but that's just like the first act yeah that's such a small part of it and i really like that we get to like explore the future explore an alternate present and then kind of revisit the first movie to like keep things in line with what audiences love about the first movie so i thought that was it was pretty cool it's a really cool way to do a sequel where you introduce something new and alternate to what we know and then like use the first movie like another playground in the third act i thought that was kind of interesting yeah and like you know as someone who i i hate 50s nostalgia um and that's just because it was it was everywhere in the 90s it was you know yeah the same thing that's happening now with 80s and 90s nostalgia just for different people you know but like I just, uh, 50s nostalgia of, like, I had seen enough of it by the time I was seven years old. Thank you very much. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I get a little bummed in, in Act 3 when we go back to the 50s. Um, just because I'm like, ah, that's, like, the thing I like least about this movie. Yeah. But it's what a lot of people probably liked most at the time. So it, it feels less like 50s nostalgia and more like first movie nostalgia for me yeah. at least I, I don't think it's really like hearkening back to the old times again like that's the first true one was, it's more like let's see the characters as we know them in the movie we've been watching narrowly brushing against the characters we saw in the first movie it doesn't feel as much 50s kind of stuff it just feels like we're fucking with the thing you know from four years ago yeah yeah, yeah yeah that's, that's for me at least yeah and that's probably why it bothered me less in this plus we got you know biff and biff talking to each other which you know just watching that man carry yeah. the scene um i really and, like those those little moments where like characters with the same actor talk to each other and mm-hmm. there's like such a clear divide like the camera like you know the the scene is split down the middle and mm-hmm. you see like the camera on the left side of your screen there's like a conjoining point between the two scenes and like maybe the camera shakes a little bit on this side and so you notice that like dividing point yeah yeah but i still think they did an excellent job we know where like they're throwing the book to each other and it, yeah. you can tell it's just like someone else's hand like reaching up to hand him something yeah <laughs> like when uh doc brown's like handing himself the wrench behind the telephone mm-hmm. pole mm-hmm. you're like oh so that's how they did it <laughs> Well, it's something they pointed out in uh, in Red Letter Media. Um, <clears throat> their, their, uh, their review of uh, 
Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which I watched uh, coincidentally a couple nights ago. And I think I think Robert Zemeckis deserves credit because they were pointing out how, like, people give him shit for a lot of reasons, uh, but he was, like, on the cutting edge, like, he of, as far as, like, visual, uh, like, effects and cinematography. He was pushing cinema forward through through most of his movies, and even, like, when he, uh, when he, when he busted, you know, went a little too far with, like, uh, Polar Express, and what's that other weird CGI movie he made? Oh, uh, the Christmas Carol, right? Yeah, Christmas Carol and Polar Express. Um, yeah. He went, he, he's still, like, uh, he, he finally failed, but he was still, like, actually pushing onward, and, you know, like, being, uh, being ambitious, and they pointed out that in Back to the Future 2, like, pretty much most movies that had ever done this ever did the like static shot you know like cameras locked in two camera two actors standing by each other with a divide in the middle um and there's so many spliced together shots of him getting more ambitious than that like he Mm -hmm. used like um the the motion controlled cameras to get like two marty's in the shot at the bar scene um like stuff that was actually really hard to splice together you know it was impressive I, i think I think a lot of their their trick photography deserves a lot more credit than it gets in Back to the Future too. Yeah, it's it's really impressive, and he's definitely a director that's always tried to push himself to be better, trying to push mm-hmm. movies to be better from like a technological standpoint. And yeah, like you're saying, it doesn't always work. Sometimes we get five different hollow-eyed Tom Hanks. <laughs> but respect the hustle, right? You gotta respect, respect the hustle. I gotta respect the hustle. I'm sure that inspired somebody to do something that we like, so whatever. Uh, yeah, this movie had... I don't know. I think all of these movies maybe have a little bit too much exposition. I feel like Doc Brown... Doc, yes. Brown, is, Doc Brown is the only one that is like good at doing it, because... Yeah. He feels like his character is just so manic and it just feels like I have I only have a few seconds to explain everything and everything I'm saying is extremely important. And then Marty is just like, wait, what the hell is going on in the first place? (laughs) I think that kind of chemistry works if you're going to be delivering a lot of exposition because, you know, yeah, like basically like I was saying, like you got to get you've got someone that's just like in a rush to get all of this off their chest and every detail is important and it's important to the plot and then you've got another character that's hearing him but not understanding everything yeah yeah. so i I think they have like a fun energy but then we got like leah thompson's character uh mommy mcfly if i may uh mcfly i believe is her proper name or that's what that's what marty calls her Greg edit that out um (laughs) (laughs) yeah but then she's like your father always hated being called a chicken and just stuff like that to people who fucking know they fucking know this happens like every five minutes for them (laughs) and this this kind of brings me back to one of your original points on the first movie do you think that they're also still like patting patting themselves on the back a little too hard by setting things up and paying them off i think that was a big issue for you yeah um in the first movie i would say uh yes but not nearly as egregiously as in the first movie like there's still a few moments where it's like uh i don't even remember honestly if if i think they in this movie they switched that from like the being like 
you know, your father and I would have never got married if he hadn't asked me to the undersea uh, under the seas dance and kissed me right at this exact moment in this place. None of this would be happening. And then they make sure that happens. And yeah, but I think they replaced it by giving like their entire family history to everyone all the time. Like, I forget like the 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 son or grandson of the guy who like when we met him in 1985 he was the mayor and then we meet him in 1955 and someone's like you'll never be a mayor and he's like i just might be a mayor like you'll never be nothing and then marty's like he's gonna be the mayor that's that's like the shit that like bothered me in the first movie and then in this movie you have like that guy's like descendant i don't even remember what he was doing or why he was there but he pops up on screen and he goes as my grandpa used to say when he was the mayor of this town, you know, like they just like, <laughs> like uh, it's that constant stuff. It's, it's, um, a, it's the least subtle wink to the audience that you've ever seen. That's like reaching to the audience's face and using your fingers to force an audience winger to wink. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fine. Uh, yeah, I think. I the the only thing I do like in that same kind of vein I do like that they reference the third movie quite a bit because like they filmed them I think back to back and then they had a trailer for the second one at the end of this movie or a trailer for, for the, the third, third one yeah. at the end of the second movie so I meant to say so like they already had the movie made or like at least written when they were making this one so like Doc's got the the button up shirt with like trains and cowboys on them and like all the old denominations in like the suitcase they're like referencing the future and like the wild west or like the, sorry the future movie and the wild west uh every once in a while I, mm-hmm. I i did like moments like that yeah no i mean those were neat and you know when when we score them I, I, this is what sucks about this movie for me is I actually think this was a it's a Pirates of the Caribbean two and three situation for me where it's like this is essentially half of a four hour movie, um, and what sucks is this first half is a lot better than the second half, and so because I know that Back to the Future three kind of sucks, it makes me like this movie ends without satisfaction. It's not a complete meal, you know. Um, mm. And so now that I know that like the payoff to that is never coming, um, it, it just it, it takes it down a little bit for me. And honestly, I think that's like as I'm looking through my notes, I'm seeing just a whole bunch of negatives. And I remember that about the first movie too. But I'd say I like them both. I think this is like a really good franchise that just pushes all of my fucking buttons. Like it's like nothing that ever like makes me dislike the movie. But it just, mm-hmm. like, constantly annoys the shit out of me. Like, and I think it's a credit to how good these movies are, because I still like them, despite how they are, like, constantly doing, like, everything I fucking hate in movies. <laughs> like, it annoys the living fuck out of me. Um, like, like, Jesus, man. Like, first of all, bullies need to learn to stop standing in domino style, because, boy, do they get knocked <laughs> over easy in this movie. And stop um, falling for the what's that over there trick. Yeah. Yeah. And like Lorraine is like monologuing to the audience about like what's going on. Um, there, There's a famous horrible wrestling match called a reverse battle royal where all the wrestlers started on the outside of the ring. Um, and the first the first 
people to make it inside the ring one. Um, and the problem was, if you have like 30 insanely athletic dudes outside the ring, how do you make it look like it was a challenge for them to fucking get in the ring? Like, and so all these like gymnast acrobat types are like trying to walk into the ring, but they like slip and fall because nobody comes and hits them, you know, like, but they weren't <laughs> supposed to win the match. So they'll just be like, oh no, the ring, it's so hard to get in. Because <laughs> um, they <laughs> assumed someone would interrupt them and they just kept getting further. That's what it was like watching Marty and Doc try to get that fucking sports almanac. Like, I was like, guys, like, you were, you needed this to last, like, 35 minutes. And you should have found a better thing to chase or made it harder to get. Because it was fucking silly how many, like, near misses they had trying to get their... Th th this guy invented fucking time travel. <laughs> They're trying to fucking write timelines but they can't get a piece of fucking paper from a teenager? What are you fucking... Are you kidding well, me? He's he's real big. He's got a lot of muscles. It's tricky. <laughs> Shoot him! Like, <laughs> he falls in poop at the end, Greg. That's his arc. Biff gets a fun? bunch of poop dumped on him. Isn't that's, that fun? No, it's really fun. He's just not a smart guy. He's not a... He's like a fucking chump. Like, it was ridiculous yeah. how hard it was. Like, just the contrivance for the sheer sake of contrivance to try to make the movie last longer like it was it was silly man it was yeah. silly how hard it was and it wasn't supposed to be yeah that tracks um i'm not gonna reach for reasons to make this segment last any longer we've been going for a while we're almost done with one movie you ready to get into gimmicks <sighs> i suppose I know you've got a lot more to say, but you spent 15 minutes on the Infinite Biff Theory, buddy. Well, that was that's going to be the highest rated 15 minutes in the history of this podcast. So let's fucking, <laughs> yeah, let's people often it. rate podcasts by 15 minute segments. So yeah, uh, you, it's, the Grannies Award will will recognize it. I'm sure the Grannies will this year. We'll have a multiple choice for which 15 segment, one 15 minute segment. <laughs> it's just like one one last thing. Yeah, one last thing. A hundred. Marty McFly yeah. gets a time travel letter that apparently has been waiting for him for 70 years, delivered to him at that exact moment, and he opens it in the fucking rain. <laughs> like, yeah, lets the rain, okay. like, pour onto it. Like, and no, and the dude who's, like, curious to find out is like, cover it up! Or he doesn't. He doesn't say cover it up, he just sits there and is like... Yeah, let's ruin this thing. We're not going to need to ever read it again. I'm sure like, he can read it. <laughs> I, I think it was a, an absolute testament to screenwriting that, like, Marty is significantly less annoying and stupid in this movie and is still incredibly annoying and stupid. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, like, so much better than the first movie. And he's still, like, the dumbest fucking character I've ever seen. Like, he's so <laughs> fucking stupid. <laughs> I I did notice that. I was like, how is that ink not just washing away right now? <laughs> What's this paper made of? It should be dissolving into just crumbs. Sorry. So. One more, one more thing, because here we care about women. <laughs> oh my god. I'm sorry. This is the absolute worst case of like using a female exclusively to motivate the men I have ever seen in my life. She is unconscious unless she is motivating the men. <laughs> like as soon as they get to the future, Doc is like, oh, Marty, neutralize the female. <laughs> like, 
like, it's, it's unbelievable if, like, the men don't need her to, like, either be in peril or, like, like whatever. They, they, just, they just knock her out. It's, like, almost funny. It's so oh, awful. She's not essential to the plot. I mean, my plan. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, you, you've been trying to land this plane for a while. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll stop. I'm I just have a lot of thoughts and feelings. DeLorean back on the ground. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so our gimmick of this week, we have a new gimmick this week. It's called the gimmick of the week. Denny, we didn't have a gimmick in our first episode. We didn't have gimmicks, yes. gimmick of the week. That wasn't a thing back then. So I think we've made significant improvements in this podcast as hosts, as show makers, whatever. One of those improvements was gimmicks. So Denny, what is your favorite improvement for Back to the Future Part 2? Um, I would say it's the self-improvement arc of Biff Tannen. Um, that guy went from a, a manure-covered rapist to um, the richest man in the world. Uh, and and I, I'm just proud of how much he worked on himself and lived his dreams. Uh, it's, it's Biff Tannen all the way. All right. I like it. Um, my favorite improvement is that there is significantly less, I didn't say none, significantly less mother-son sexual tension. We dialed it from a nine back to maybe like a four, <laughs> but we we dialed it down a lot. That means the timeline's getting brighter. They didn't kiss. <laughs> the timeline's getting brighter. That's right. In the darkest timeline, he just mom <laughs> and Back to the Future floor. That's why they Jeez. won't make it. <laughs> All right, Denny. What is your favorite line from Back to the Future Part Two? Um, it's a line uh, that that wasn't even said. Um, it's it's a written line when they're in the 2015 future. I'd never noticed it before, and it's this time it's really really personal from Jaws. Jaws 19. 19. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd never seen like the the tag on it. I thought that was really funny. What about you? Uh, it's a line. I think it's from the first and second movie, but I love hearing it. I love the delivery. I love what it does to your movie-watching heart and mind when you hear it. Where we're going, we're <sighs> don't, we don't need roads. And I botched it. But Dude. I do love that. It's so fucking cool. It really, really is. That is a fantastic line. <sighs> what's, your, uh, what's your Critiker score, Greg? Uh, my Critiker score, I did have to rate it lower than the first one. Mm -hmm. um, you know... It just, it never really felt like the stakes were super high. It felt like they were, but then they're just like, stakes get established and then resolved and then established and then resolved. Like mm -hmm. stuff just gets like established and resolved so fast. I don't really know what I'm supposed to be attached to. Yeah, yeah. To quote the Blank Check podcast on this particular movie, I am enjoying it more than I'm loving it. I enjoy yeah. the hell out of I enjoy the hell out of this movie, but I don't really love it. I, th I think yeah. that is perfect. It is a 30 out of 40. Nice. What did you give the first one? Just curious. I think a 31 or a 32. Cool. They're pretty They're pretty neck and neck, honestly. Like, uh, I have it at a 33. Yeah. That yeah. one's a, a lot more enjoyable, a little more airtight, a little yeah. more... Yeah. Th this is one of the better sequels that was. that's not like part of a pre-planned trilogy, you know? Like, that's this mm -hmm. is pretty close to the original in terms of quality. Um... I gave it a 38 out of 50. I believe I gave part one a 42. So pretty much same same reaction yep. as you. Yep, yep, yep. All bad. 
Dude, oh, I had an idea. Um, mm. You know how you can always like hear the hum of the hum of lights uh, on our microphones. Mm-hmm. So they actually, I came across a product for it. It's called the Silence of the Lamps. It makes it impossible for a mic to pick up the sound of the light, and uh, that's a seamless edit. Damn, I was about to ask. <laughs> I was about to ask if they could pick up a seamless edit. That was that was pretty solid, man. Thank you. I I took you serious. You had me in the first half. I'm not gonna lie, and I was just like, I was. Uh, my first you, note on this movie was make a dumb joke about Silence of the Lamps because <laughs> I thought of that pun when I was watching it for some reason. You you brightened my evening for sure. All right, uh, if you can't tell. Namaste. The nasty. So, in episode one, we discussed the silence of the lambs, not the lamps. <laughs> so I, th- I decided. Well, you know, we decided that we were going to do the sequel to that, which is Hannibal, a film from two thousand one that you can watch on the Stars with a Z app. I think it's in a couple other places too, but that's where I watched it. I think I have it on DVD somewhere too. Mm-hmm. Anyways, who cares? Hannibal 2001 on Stars is the direct sequel chronologically to Silence of the Lambs. Uh, originally, I think I had said we were going to do Red Dragon Yeah. for that episode, but I, I hadn't seen any of these other movies, so I was just like, I thought Red Dragon was a sequel. Me too. So I, I couldn't I wa- have told you. I want to give you the, the uh, chronology here, minus the TV shows. Um so chronologically it's hannibal rising which came out in 07 okay uh red dragon that's the one with like edward norton that came out in 02 and that is a movie that takes place like 10 years before silence of the lambs which is the next movie which came out in 91 Mm -hmm. and then this movie we're talking about today hannibal came out in 2001 which does take place 10 years after silence of the lambs where does uh where does 1986's Manhunter fit into all of it because I know I'd never heard of it before last week and apparently it's like legit part of the franchise so no idea I was only looking at stuff with Hannibal Lecter's character in there so I'm sure it's great more more pieces to the puzzle damn it (laughs) more things I gotta figure out I, I think this is such a unique we'll call it a quadrilogy I guess where it's just like you know this this is you know four movies that span 16 years right mm-hmm. and that can't work when they're all focused on the same character but it does work because at a certain point like anthony hopkins just hit a hit a mark where he was like i look like i'm 58 <laughs> and then he stopped for about 20 years yeah. <laughs> and then we and then woke up one day that. and he was old yeah <laughs> Woke up one day who's old and then stayed exactly that old despite being significantly older than that. And then he started aging again. So real commitment to the craft, knowing that there would be 16 years worth of this character. And he was just like, you know what? I'm going to commit myself to looking the exact same the whole time. (laughs) Good for him. Some people are born 40, you know. (laughs) What an artiste. Oh, uh, Greg, you wanna you wanna synopsisize this boy? Yeah, sure. Um, Hannibal is a film that takes place. If I'm I'm assuming everybody has seen Silence of the Lambs. If you haven't, 
for the love Here's, of God, watch it before we talk God. about this movie. <laughs> yeah, just mm, don't let just us ruin watch, it. Yeah, just watch that one. <laughs> this one's fine though. Uh, yeah, so this movie takes place, like I said, ten years after the events of Silence of the Lambs. Hannibal Lecter is still out. He's loose. We don't know where he is. He's kind of in hiding, I believe, in Florence, Italy. Uh, Agent Starling, who was played by Jodie Foster, but is now played by Julian Moore. I believe Jodie Foster was like busy with another project at the time. I'll, I'll, um, I got the trivia on that. I figured it out. It's actually more interesting than that, but ooh, go on. Do tell. Later. So, <laughs> Agent Starling has been... I, I believe she gets a note. There is a an older man named Verger, played by Gary Oldman, who you would never guess Gary Oldman plays it because his face is all fucked up. <laughs> he is an old patient of Dr. Lecter before he was, you know, institutionalized. And Dr. Lecter convinced him, convinced Verger to cut off his own face and eat the pieces. I think it was like a drunken or drug-influenced rage, whatever. Mm-hmm. So this man is incredibly wealthy and he's incredibly interested in Dr. Lecter and he's convinced he can find him and he just wants to exact his revenge on Dr. Lecter for what he did to his face so many years ago. And clues start emerging an Italian police detective in Florence accidentally kind of stumbles his way into figuring out that someone in the town that he thought he knew and was talking to for a separate investigation he finds out that that man is actually in fact Hannibal Lecter and he's wanted by the FBI uh, Clarice receives a letter from supposedly from Hannibal Lecter and through clues through the handwriting the paper the parchment the smell whatever they figure out that they kind of narrow down where he might be they find out the detective's looking for him, so they've got it narrowed down. The FBI has found out that Hannibal Lecter is in Florence, Italy. We continue on a manhunt. Um, yeah, I kind of, I kind of lost the thread because this is where stuff gets kind of tricky and weird. Yeah, it's, it's so weird, man. Like it's just such a departure from the first movie. I, I don't really know yeah. how to finish finish my summary here. Um, eventually, uh. Um, Hannibal tracks down Ray Liotta um, and uh, and uh, and Clarice uh, Julianne Moore and drugs them and gets them in a house. Also, the guy Gary Oldman wanted to feed Hannibal to pigs for some reason, like it's some fucking Grimm's Brothers cautionary tale: don't eat people or the pigs will eat you. Pretty um, metal. Yeah. And then um, he saws open Ray Liotta's head. Uh, eats his brains while he's still alive which is mostly for shock and awe um then he wants to kill Jodie Foster but uh she handcuffs herself to him and they make us think um they make us think he cuts off her hand to get out of it but he cuts off his own uh likely to imply that uh Hannibal is so fascinated with Jody that, or Joe, I called her Jody Foster, Jody. Uh, with Clarice <laughs> that very um, wrong. <laughs> with, with Clarice that uh, maybe there's something about her that he actually doesn't think it's right to harm her. Um, and then we close out on Hannibal flying away to another country and presumably feeding a child uh, his own hand. Um, that was, and, yeah, yeah. What's your what's your relationship with the film? uh never saw it only kind of heard of it 
yeah that's it pretty much same i i just i knew it was a sequel to silence of the lambs and i was like why would you do that and then everyone said it wasn't very good the, and i was the like, book did i think i think it's yeah the book series continued yeah yeah and they wanted to make the movie off it yeah yeah it, but people basically saying it's a sequel to silence of the lambs and it's not very good was all i needed to hear to never check it out um for what it's worth it really made me expect it to be a lot worse than it was um and yeah 100 percent. i think i'm in the same boat too man yeah it's it's not a bad movie um well it's not a great one either it's like a little less than mediocre but not like offensively bad but then you add like the weight of following one of the best movies ever made um without one of like well without two of the the most important pieces of it which is jodie foster's performance which if you ask me there is no there is no hannibal without jodie i think her reactions sell a lot of anthony hopkins performance um and you also don't have buffalo bill because his character's not in it you know like it's like honestly they did better than i'd expect um but th- this is the reason Jodie Foster didn't do it, because she was actually involved in, like, apparently what was years of pre-production. Um, the the script had 15 drafts. Um, wait, wait, no, there were even more. 15 drafts by the time Jodie Foster backed out. Um, mm-hmm. So the book ends with, uh, ends with Hannibal and Clarice becoming lovers, um, which Ridley Scott thought was, like way too big of a departure from both characters especially hannibal's um and uh he just asked the author like hey do you care if i change the ending and the author was like not really and he's like cool i'm gonna change it <laughs> so um what i've got to assume because what what jody foster said was like i'm sorry but no matter how much money they pay me i just can't betray clarice because um, at this point she's like a real a real person to me and so I, I can't do something that I don't think is fair to the character, which I thought was like a fucking cool move on her part, by the way. Um, but I've got to assume at the time of her leaving, and this is just an assumption, I've got to assume that this wasn't the ending we got. You know, like I got to assume that there was something way more non-Clarice than than what ended up happening. Yeah. So yeah, uh, Jodie Foster was sorely missed. Um and no disrespect whatsoever to Julianne Moore. Julianne Moore is a fantastic actor. Um, she was she was good in this movie. I thought um, it's just you you had to do something that literally couldn't be done, which was mm-hmm. replace Jodie Foster as Clarice. Like you just you just could not. It doesn't matter how good or bad the performance is. It's you can't. It needs to be Jodie Foster. <laughs> Yeah, that I think Jodie Foster is. Oh, sorry, not Jodie Foster. See, we're doing it now. <laughs> Too many J names, but yeah, Julianne Moore is really just the metaphor for this entire movie in general. Like, she's she's good, but she's not Jodie Foster's performance. Yeah, the movie like verger i think is cool and a good character and gary oldman does a good job but he's not buffalo bill Mm -hmm. the story is good and interesting but it's not like the first one and like the filmmaking is good but it doesn't match what i liked about like the visual storytelling from the first one yeah it's just it's uh, yeah it's just not the same but it's not bad but i just feel 
intentionally disconnected from mm-hmm. this movie if that makes sense yeah it's just like it's just astounding that they managed to like take one of the greatest crime movies of all time you know uh, one of the best ever if not the best ever like and they just turned it into like a very formulaic thriller that was yeah kind of lame and kind of uninspired you know like it's just like how did you do that and well the answer is well it starts with getting rid of jodie foster then probably having a kind of shitty book to base it off of who reads it's a fucking book um um for what it's worth i thought it was going to be a lot worse because oh most definitely well I, i had a weird experience watching this movie I thought that because it looked so bad in the first shot, but it got it got better as it went on, but I thought it looked intentionally bad. I thought for sure that Hannibal was under a mask masquerading as Verger. Um, okay. And I, I was just the whole time I was like, God, oh my God, people, you're not going to surprise us with this reveal. Even I figured it out, you know, and I noticed that like, when when like uh hannibal's in florence uh and all that stuff it's like hey we don't know that that's the same timeline this could be out of sequence and then finally i just saw them both in the same shot and i was like oh fuck okay (laughs) well now i feel stupid (laughs) there was something in the back of my head when we're like getting introduced to the verger character i was like "Mm, that might be him yeah Ah, no, I guess not. Okay. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's it's a mostly decent thriller. I think I might have enjoyed it a little bit more than you. I think I had, like, a weird roller coaster of feelings. So it was like, oh, I didn't know Ridley Scott made this movie. Same, same, same. And then we get, like, the... I was like, okay, I can... I want to buy into Julianne Moore in this role. That's fine. She's not doing a bad job. And then they do like a police raid and it's just like this big action shootout. I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah. This is what the movie's going to be. God, Greg, we had the exact same moment. That was the moment that I was like, I'm really starting to worry they don't understand the appeal of the first movie. Like that exact moment. (laughs) To this movie's credit, though, I was, I thought... I was like, okay, we're just going to get a bunch of dumb cop shootout moments. Mm -hmm. That was the only one. Mm -hmm. That's the only, like, big shootout scene. And, like, I thought we were just getting, like, an action movie. And I was like, that's not what this is about. This is not what makes that movie good. Yeah. And then they did it once and didn't do it again. So that was a relief in a moment where I was feeling very uneasy about the next hour and a half. Yeah, but I, I do think they did things in that spirit a lot. Um, like, Yeah, that tracks. I think, first of all, Hannibal is a character who works a lot better without answers. Like, he, it's, it's better to let us imagine the horrors of what he could do and what he's capable of with his mind and how he manipulates people. Mm-hmm. I feel like we, we saw him do it so much that like first of all he didn't seem like a really crazy smart sadistic human anymore he seemed like a movie character you know like uh okay yeah he seemed like a movie villain whose thing was he manipulates people then he eats them and he's really hard to catch but i just didn't feel like it was as slippery guy yeah yeah. (laughs) i didn't think it was as earned um as it was in the first movie I, i think hannibal being stuck in a maximum security prison cell 
was something that helped the character. And when you let him out and he can go out in the whole world, uh, it's like watch watching a character with like that level of unrestricted power really isn't that unique. But when you mm. see him like completely handicapped using only his mind to accomplish his goals, you know, like, and using only yeah. negotiation to get something simple, which is a, a, a room with a view, which then, you know, like he, you know, really bites his way out of that one. Um, but, um, <laughs> I, I just think he, and, but then the thing is after he gets out of jail in that movie, he disappears. We don't see him again until, you know, the mm-hmm. famous final scene. Um, we don't see Hannibal anymore after that, right? Like yeah. that's it works better that way. Um, I, I just think it felt too much like a movie with with him out in the world. Yeah, I one hundred thousand percent agree. I think you put you put words to thoughts that I didn't really feel, even realize that I was trying to express. Mm-hmm. So I, I appreciate that. It felt too much like a movie. And I feel like they tried to approach the character of Hannibal Lecter with, you know, similar sort of reverence for who he is and how we felt about him in the first one. But Mm -hmm. just simply due to the setting, it just doesn't quite land. I'm still legitimately scared of him. Yeah. Because, like, because of how smart he is and because of Hopkins' performance and because of what I know from the first movie. Like, I know this is... But... Like, so there's a lot of scenes where I am terrified of the man, but it's just, it's not a character that's, like, lethally patient and calculating. Yeah. He's very quick-thinking and yeah. slippery and a little more, like, physic- like physically um, asserting dominance. Yeah. And it just that's kind of a cool and interesting character sometimes in other movies but that's not this character so it's just like i'm not intrigued and i'm not scared of what he could do because (laughs) it's like i've seen movies so i think i know what this guy's going to do basically he he improvises way too much that's a really good point that like we see him thrust into these absolutely unpredictable situations and he's just immediately the absolute fucking master of them, right? Like, it's like, he's not fucking Superman, <laughs> you know? Like, it's... Yeah. It, he's all about, like, how cerebral he is. Like, and again, the physical dominance, all that. It's like, you just wouldn't... You wouldn't think... Like, I, I, again, him describing his crimes is way more intriguing than us seeing his crimes right like yeah 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 yeah. and that that's like that's why the first movie is like such an amazing payoff because you hear about all the things that he's done and like maybe see some glimpses of grisly photos of those crimes yeah and then it's not until the very end and like we're already scared of him it's not until the very end where he does this calculated performs this calculated act of you know cutting off the cop's face and wearing that skin over his own face where it's just like that it wasn't something that was brought up but we believe that he would have calculated that out ahead of time yes he would have thought that out it wasn't like a you know he jumped out of the window and then has to scurry to find you know the solution he's just like i know i'll cut off this guy's face which that just that's less interesting yeah if they had done it that way, which was, it's what this movie feels like. Well, and again, when, 
what when were you more scared when you saw like ray liotta sitting there like he's a fucking spirit halloween display um which was honestly as much as i appreciate the effect it was extremely b-movie right like that was like Mm -hmm. fucking mad scientist stuff what scared you more him eating that brain or him saying i ate his liver with a uh plate of fava beans and a nice chante (laughs) you know like him 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 saying that is so much more impactful than us like watching something way more horrific yeah exactly i i i found that moment intriguing maybe a little less b movie than maybe you did Mm -hmm. i think because it was ray liotta if it was just like some nobody like random (laughs) scrub i think i would have been like okay this is kind of funny but because it's ray liotta we have kind of a relationship with the character he's doing rest in peace to a king by the way yeah no absolute Um, legend so i wasn't too disconnected from that moment but like well that was like i'm saying with it was neat, it was neat to see Ray Liotta do something like that. Like it was like yeah. a like like he, I said he, he doesn't belong in this scene as a performer. <laughs> you know, like that it was cool. But go on, I cut like, you off. It's like I said when we were talking about it, man. He always brings something to every like you want to typecast him, but he's always ready to bring something new. And I yeah. feel like that was his bringing something new. Yeah, he did kind of sell me on that a little bit more than I think anybody else could have. Fair. Um, but yeah, like. It's like I was talking about the filmmaking in the first movie compared to this one. There's a moment at the beginning where Ray Liotta is checking out Julianne Moore. Mm -hmm. And it's just like this male gaze moment where he's like, they're sitting in an office, they're talking to a third person, but he's looking over at her and just like looking up and down her legs. And we kind of see his perspective and then we see him from the side. And then the first movie, I think I made mention of it, is just like, the filmmaking is so different and so striking because so many shots are characters looking either straight into the lens mm-hmm. or like maybe like right above it, right below it, whatever. Uh, like there's a lot of um, visual clues about the male gaze and they're so impactful because based on Jodie Foster's reaction, we know she's aware of how she's looked at and perceived because sometimes the male gaze even happens during eye contact from the people that she's you know thrust into working with yeah and it's just so unimpactful when a character we see a character looking at her and she doesn't notice or she doesn't she doesn't know it's just kind of weird and like what you were saying with um Hannibal Lecter saying like I ate his liver with barber beans and a nice Chianti he's looking into the camera saying that too in the yeah. first movie which yeah I, I, that was a very long walk to get circle back to that point is the filmmaking also sold that moment it wasn't yes. like the type of action like action versus dialogue it was also filmmaking of that dialogue yeah that made it more chilling yeah and like the filmmaking in general got way less timeless like there's a bunch of like very 2000s flashbacks you know like just like just generic as fuck like uh sepia colored uh crime scene photos which god jesus that sound effect yeah that that exact sound effect effect. yeah Dude, it, it is real quick. I'm so sorry to interrupt. That's all I have to same. say. Go. You're you're it's, you're bantering. 
this the same thing that i mentioned in american psycho 2 where we like well, let's chop up the frame rate to make it look so oh. <laughs> we did it in this movie too and there I was, was no ridley i i heard please. your voice right like i heard the, there was like an egregious time when it happened in this one i forget when it was i want to say i, I want to say it was a woman getting thrown onto a couch or something um that might be totally made up um my only note is I hate this shitty 2000 slow-mo. I didn't write down where it was. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. man. Good and, things, bad things. Dude, Hannibal Lecter's eating things. Do you remember when, uh, when Gary Oldman's character sat down and, like, explained Hannibal's motivations and what he was about to do to the audience? Like, he's like talking to his will forte ass butler um uh, <laughs> that's a good call <laughs> like i i the, it's actually another uh, very famous and good actor i just don't remember his name and kept thinking he was will forte um, yeah keep keep going keep going but he just sits there and explains like he's like do you think clarice will catch him <laughs> oh yeah, yeah yeah i remember this now it yeah. was never that's the thing with hannibal it's not about the bait or whatever it's about like you have to intrigue him uh, he likes to corrupt you, and he thinks that she's incorruptible. So I've got to, I've got to get her vulnerable and fearful, uh, so that Hannibal will reveal himself to her because those are his true motivations, and that's why I'm about to do what I'm about to do. Thank you for listening to my TED talk. Like it's <laughs> like, it's so just so fucking explainy. For a movie, like a movie following a movie that was so famous for its like mastery of subtlety, um, uh -huh. like just how do how do you how do you do that shit, man? How do you do that? And that's the thing is like it's a worse way to tell a story, but at the same time, Gary Oldman's doing it very well in incredibly good prosthetic makeup. Yeah, like there's, it's like the opposite of oh, I can't remember what movie. I was talking about where everything felt like 60% done. This movie felt like some things are 10 out of 10 perfectly done. Very well executed like um, aspects of filmmaking, acting, whatever, artistry. And then it's just like some stuff feels like 20% good. Yeah. But it's yeah. just like, yeah, but it's being told in such a cool way. Or it's being shown in such a cool way. And yeah. <laughs> It's such a con it's a confusing movie to watch. It really is, man. It really is. Um, uh, that that guy's name, by the way, he's a Slovenian actor, Zelko Ivanek. I probably butchered that. Uh, he's in a bunch of stuff. Yeah. He's he's very uh, famous. His, his character name was Cordell, by the way. Mm -hmm. I did like him. No, Cordell was a good character. Um, that to me, like their whole inclusion is the jumping the shark thing. It just seemed like they wanted to do something as, like, salacious as Buffalo Bill um, having a pit full of, like, women that he was trying to fatten up so he could wear their skin. Um, mm -hmm. It's like... They, they just felt the need to, like, replicate that. So they had, like, uh, a man who disfigured his own face... Um, and now lives in a bed and can't close his eyes and he wants to feed Hannibal alive to some angry pigs and it's just like guys <laughs> like just just pivot you can't replicate Buffalo Bill so pivot mm -hmm. you're not gonna you're not gonna have two ideas that good 
change it up. Like if if you if you can't if you can't match it, then don't go there. Think of another thing to do in your movie. Um, like I could have honestly like. I could have lived without that whole arc. Like I just, I just, it just didn't really need to be there. All, all it did was like motivate Hannibal to come back to the United States, right? Like that's that's all it was. Um, mm-hmm. They could have just been like, "Hey, uh, the uh, senator's contributor wants you to reopen the Hannibal investigation," right? Um, and that would have been enough. <laughs> that that could have justified why we're doing the movie again. I don't know, man. I, I just, I wasn't wild about that. And there was a lot of stuff that I thought, like, this movie's way too long. It's, like, almost two and a half hours. There's a lot of stuff they could have cut. And one of them was an adorable montage I have affectionately named hashtag Hanny's Move, um, where we see him, like, coming back to the U.S. and, and going shopping. <laughs> like, we see him, like, Dude. shop at, like, three different stores and... I was like, hey, Hanny's move. <laughs> it's, it's happening. Oh One of the better episodes of Community. <laughs> That's pretty good. When you when you said motivation for him to come back to the U.S., what I pictured in my mind was him going shopping. I was like, oh, yeah, it was kind of weird that he's, like, out there without a mask or anything. Like, But I guess it makes sense that maybe in 2001 people might not recognize him. You say That's that? That's what I was picturing. <laughs> you say that, right? But, like, keep in mind... They showed, and I guarantee this was like a last-minute inclusion just based on like when the movie was made and when it was released. On the FBI's top ten most wanted list, they made a real a real good close-up of Osama bin Laden and held on it for a minute. So it's like, keep in mind that this is like a post-9-11 world um, for two movies in a row. Uh, but like, it's a post-9-11 world. Like, this is the... Like, this is, like, fucking Jeffrey Dahmer walking around. Like, and, and like, people would know what that fucker looked like. Especially in the town yeah. that, like, God, where he used to fucking live. <laughs> like, what are you fucking talking about? Okay. They don't know yeah, Hannibal Lecter? Like, I couldn't believe they were doing that. I found it weird that... Like, is the FBI... So... This is such a wild divergence from what you were just talking about. Like, but it. the Italian like police detective, whatever he is, Commendatore, he's looking up the FBI's top ten most wanted list. Yeah, and it's like restricted. Yeah, don't you want that to be fucking public information? And <laughs> yes. it's just like, hey, if you this website, ooh. This website's for professionals only. We don't want people to see the faces of the people that we are desperate to arrest. Yeah. Like, that was such a weird moment. I don't know if that was, like, explained or anything. I, I think it was lazy screenwriting. Because um, they had they had to let Clarice know that it was he him. Was, yeah. That he knew about Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, that, that was how she found out was that it was, like, traceable. And it's like, dude, again, the the contrived the contrived shit. I'm I'm gonna do something right now. FBI's top ten most wanted. Let's see if I get investigated here in a few days. <laughs> uh, FBI.gov uh, top ten most wanted fugitive. Wow, no warning about how I can only view this if I'm an FBI agent. Very cool. <laughs> 
There was a lot of uh, you know. Denny Taylor. <gasps> <laughs> they want me front row, Joe. <laughs> Front Row Joe has been compromised to a permanent end. I can't wait until I can announce that on Movies for When. We have caught and compromised to a permanent end, Front Row Joe. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, you, want, you, want to, you want to hit gimmicks? Yeah, I think so. I, dude, I... Ooh, real quick. Yeah. Last... This is the actual last thing. We say this all the time. But man... I want to compare the two roll credit moments between the first these two movies, man. Okay. So, Silence of the Lambs. I think you already covered it a little bit. Hannibal Lecter calls calls up Clarice Starling from Buenos Aires and just says like a final goodbye and just like gives her like a ta-ta for now. Hangs up the phone, disappears into the crowd and like we're kind of following we know he's wearing like a white hat and then the credits start coming up on the screen and we start to lose him in the crowd of people. Beautiful. Perfect roll credits. When you're forgetting the best part. Ooh, please, tell me. Let me know if those lambs ever stop screaming. Let me know. Oh my oh, god, god, that's good. That's so, Sorry. It's him saying, like, I won. I had you, like, I read you like a book and played you like a fiddle. Mm-hmm. And I still can. And I always But I will. also still respect you. Yep. 12 out of 10 no notes i increase it from a 10 to a 12 so fucking Um, good and then in this movie it's not his own hand i don't think it's a it's brains like what's in his cup is brains he's on a plane where he brings his own food first of all this is a post 9-11 world but we're expected to believe he's bringing his own meal you could barely bring your own dick on a plane (laughs) in 2001 (laughs) and a kid starts like hitting him up like hey I want your food. And he's like, ah, interesting. And like strike up a conversation. It's it's a little chilling. I think it's it's not a bad scene. But then he like feeds the kid like a piece of the food. Yeah. I don't remember if they show which part, if it's like the little plastic cup full of what appears to be brain. I thought it appeared to and be then, a pretty good marbled brisket. Um, so you could have fooled me. Uh, brisket doesn't look like octopus suckers, buddy. That is that was a brain. <laughs> brisket that was thinly sliced and put in Tupperware for a while. For somebody that studied what brains can do, you've got to know what a brain looks like. I didn't think it looked like a brain at all, I'll be honest. Well, I haven't studied the brain, but I have studied brisket, so... <laughs> I was. I, I wish I was quick enough on my feet to do like a whole Hannibal case conceptualization of you right now to be like, Greg, your parents didn't get you cable. I wonder. <laughs> Let me what know. Did, if, that... <laughs> did that cause you to obsess over film, over movies that you were restricted from, to the point that you were driven to make a podcast to make it right with the world? Did DW ever stop screaming? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but, so like he he feeds the kid like a piece of the food, and then the movie like freeze frame on him and then like the screen kind of turns black and then we get like a little black circle that zooms into Lecter's eye and then like that fades to black and you're expecting like the I was I was gonna say like that's all folks (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah the good a James Bond song imagining that scene as a A comedy like like I'm sorry, that scene played for laughs is like, changed nothing but hit the Looney Tunes at the end. 
<laughs> that zany Hannibal, look what he's up to this time. Feeding brains to kids. Oh, what do, what's he going to do next? Find out on the Animaniacs. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was probably the worst roll credits I've ever seen. So I just wanted to shout that out. All right, Denny. Um... <laughs> What is your favorite improvement? Um, I, I think I've got to go with uh, their incorporation of how technology has improved when they gave people like a 10 minute expose on how to enter your username and password. <laughs> like, it was like, this was like an educational video on like the internet procedural drama and you. <laughs> Like every time they were using a computer, they were literally doing like moving camera tracking shots of where the clicker was going, so you yeah. could like un understand. Like they did fucking cinematography to show a goddamn Windows Millennium Edition screen. <laughs> you love to see it, man. That's that's my moment of improvement that they incorporated all the exciting new technological advancements. <laughs> If Clarice wanted to play SimCity 2000, she would double-click on the icon. God. I'm surprised they didn't have Hannibal playing Minesweeper in, like, a prison flashback to, like, you know, make it a little more hip. <laughs> <laughs> hip and educational. What Just like this podcast. <laughs> what about you, Greg? My favorite improvement? I At first, I wrote no idea. <laughs> I don't think there were really any improvements. That's but. that's why I went with the joke one, because I was like, there's literally nothing better about this movie than the first one. Nothing. Not exactly. a single yeah. thing. That's the real answer is no idea, but I do want to give credit to Ray Liotta in this. Sure. I think... Uh, I... I I don't have any thoughts. That's it. Ray Liotta. Ray Liotta being in it that's, was, was a good move. That's that, that's yeah. all I need to say. It's just like, wow, we really had to downgrade in a lot of areas, but we got him. Imagine So that's that's good. Imagine this movie if it was someone other than Ray Liotta. Like if that character was like fucking Tim Allen or something. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> this is his prefrontal cortex. <laughs> don't worry, it's not the morphine. He's always like that. <laughs> <laughs> feeds him in a, his piece of his own brain <laughs> what's uh what's your favorite line um <laughs> there were better ones than this but i just stuck with it. it like it's not entirely poorly written but this one just stuck with me as a lot of fun gary oldman who cut off his own face like i said and Ate, ate the pieces it seemed like a good idea at the time <laughs> no he fed the pieces to dogs he didn't eat them himself he fed the pieces to dogs <laughs> seemed like a good idea at the time <laughs> other than that the night was pretty chill <laughs> <laughs> i'll uh, i'll give my runner up uh to also to gary oldman um I have immunity to the risen Jesus and nobody beats the Riz, which was uh, fantastic. Um, a, another runner-up to when the news reporter actually called him Hannibal the fucking cannibal. Um, <laughs> I, every time I hear his name, I'm, I hear Dwight Schrute saying, uh, 
perhaps that's why he became a cannibal. <laughs> um, your dentist's name is Crentist. Um, but but my winner is going to be uh, Hello Clarice um, because it's not from the first yeah. movie. It's it's only in this one. Um, and mm-hmm. people think that it was put in as a nod, actually. Um, I just found a note that needs to be said. I'm sorry. No, I, no, hit me. I have never seen dick blood spray so vigorously. <laughs> Would Hannibal fucking stab that guy in the dick and the blood is just like a fucking fountain shooting out of his wiener? Like, it's the fucking funniest shit in the whole movie. Better than when Um, Hannibal did a (laughs) one-liner. Do you remember that? I'm considering eating your wife. Oh my god. We gave him a fucking action hero one-liner. Could you not hear like Arnold Schwarzenegger as Hannibal Lecter saying that? Mm-hmm. I'm seriously considering eating your wife. <laughs> All right, can I give a real quick runner-up for funniest moment? Yes. Uh, Cordell dumping Verger into the pit of <laughs> man-eating pigs simply because a man that eats other people said he wouldn't snitch. <laughs> Like, you know, if you want to dump your boss into the pit of man-eating pigs, I'm not going to tell on you. Yeah. Well, shit, when you put it like that. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, we never see Cordell again. <laughs> he just fucks <laughs> off after that. Hey, he's got money, it sounds like. so. He's like the butler. I don't know. Like, <laughs> He could go into the house, take a few things, and be set for life. <laughs> Very true, but I, I guarantee that, uh, that Gary Oldman's character pays, like, minimum wage. Like he's like, this is a five dollar an hour job, and I will fucking shoot you in the head if everything's not perfect. I wish this was a Fox property, so Disney Plus would come out with a Cordell <laughs> miniseries. <laughs> fucking hell! All right, all right, man. What's your uh, what's your Critiker score? Um, uh, let me see. <laughs> what's what's yours, bud? <laughs> I forgot. Oh man, yeah, this is a. <laughs> I just googled, decent... searched Critiker for Critiker. <laughs> God damn it! I'm laughing you away. Critiker too. into Critiker. Yeah, you gave me the sillies. I've got the giggles. Cause all right, what's your Uh-oh. score? Uh oh. <laughs> Danny's got the giggles. I, I do have the giggles. Uh, it's a decent thriller. Reminds me nothing of the original. It's a metaphor, like another metaphor is the commandatory who's trying to obtained the success on his own he's tempted he's lured by the reward aka the box office (laughs) we did our best though this one's a 26 out of 40 nice nice i gave it a 28 out of 50 um not like offensively bad but very forgettable and kind of shitty um just 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 like I like it even a little bit less after talking about it now because it's just like they did like so much wrong and a lot of things okay but so so little good and the things they did good were like newsflash Anthony Hopkins gives a great performance you know like it's like that would have happened no matter what happened for the rest of the movie you know like that's it's just it, it, yeah, yeah, 28 out of 50. Not impressed. Uh, Fair enough. 
not not a great movie not something i'm really a fan of yeah we won't be watching it again anytime soon but red dragon next year i'm excited for that oh boy (laughs) (laughs) you're already doing it you're signing it (laughs) we're doing the whole is this yeah for those of you that couldn't see i was signing seamless edit so (laughs) two hours of silence except every so often you hear one of us go (laughs) as we're like exasperated driving a point home (laughs) a lot of hand slapping yep uh and we're back welcome back everybody welcome back to boy movies for win movies for win boy what a year of podcasting huh denny yeah greg it really has been quite a year enjoy this highlight montage i've prepared of (laughs) us saying we've got to get the band back together and saying the same shit we always say every week and that's what we do every week right before we go on the air we say say the same shit you always say every single week magical adventures best friends forever one two three one two three every week we do this and we're back all right so (laughs) All right, we've covered our sequels of movies we covered in episode one. Now it's time to talk about logical progressions of picks we had in episode number one. The best picture winner for 2020's films was Nomadland for whatever reason. We're here to talk about the best picture winner for 2021, which is Coda an apple tv plus exclusive that almost didn't get watched because somebody was logged into the wrong apple account on their tv (laughs) denny what's your relationship with this movie first of all that's that's not uh what happened um uh uh uh, yeah um do you want to know you don't want to know what actually happened it's way worse yes i subscribed to apple tv um, not knowing that Vanessa already had a subscription and it was logged in on one of our other Roku's, um, so now I need to cancel that so I don't have two Apple TV subscriptions. And then for whatever reason, the but what if two people want to watch Ted Lasso at the same time? <laughs> We're on different seasons. <laughs> and the 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 you're so stupid. <laughs> of a two-season show. <laughs> it, was, it was a real dipshit move. And then after after making that dipshit move, um, I was like, I don't want to switch around the Rokus. I'll just watch it on this one and then cancel cancel it tomorrow or something. And yeah. then for some reason, we still don't know, the Apple TV won't play anything on, on the Roku. Like, it won't play any videos it keeps telling me to check my network connection and i do and i'm all i do is sit around and stream movies i would fucking know if they weren't working you know like it works on every other platform um so yeah then i switched the rokus and at the time of this release i have not yet unsubscribed from my second apple tv account um good lord my my real relationship with the movie or should we do a synopsis before uh let's we're we're deep into the relationships let's go um i i'd never seen it and uh friend of the show and trusted confidant in movie recommendations lauren beasley dorish um uh told me she really liked it and it made her cry a lot and i was proud to say i got through this movie without crying once 
but that's also because I cried three times. Uh, ah. <laughs> so, yeah, this was a real tearjerker, and I'm I'm not much of a crier in general, uh, and it, it like no, I tears flowing down my face, brother. Uh, what's yeah. what's your relationship with it? Yeah, quick quick note about my how emotionally cool and strong I am. I also never cry. Uh, <laughs> but then on the Everything Everywhere All at Once rewatch, I cried like five times. Yeah. Oh boy! Holy shit! <laughs> yeah. Maybe once the first watch through, and then like a bunch the next time. <laughs> yeah. Resonance. All right. Um, yeah, my relationship with this movie. I think right before our Oscar. Uh, episode I was like kind of pushing to w- watch more and more best picture nominees before we recorded that episode and this was one of them I think my wife and I had just gotten back from a trip somewhere I can't remember what was going on that month but like we just like got home at like 1 p.m. and I was just like I'm gonna watch this on my iPad because I have you know Apple TV plus on there of course and then she fell asleep and I watched the movie on my iPad without headphones and then at some point she woke up from her nap and said I hate the way this girl sings she sounds like shit (laughs) she sounds great (laughs) what's Leah talking about my wife hates the way this girl sings (laughs) (laughs) well I'm sure this movie was uh didn't hit her the same because that's a pretty important part of the movie is liking her singing (laughs) it's pivotal we'll say that so I'll summarize the plot for us here um CODA is in all caps is an acronym for child of deaf adults it is about a 17 year old girl named Ruby her older brother and both her parents are all deaf they make their money in a small Massachusetts coastal town by fishing. They have a fishing boat. They bring in fish. They bring in their catch. They're kind of getting screwed over by trying to sell their fish. Everybody that sells fish in this, you know, in this town mm-hmm. feels like they're getting screwed over by the local um, market. Whatever. Mm-hmm. She she wakes up at 3 o'clock in the morning every day. Her entire family is deaf. She's kind of saddled with the burden of being their interpreter, but she's also trying to live with her own life. Mm-hmm. So she wakes up at 3 a.m. She goes out, and goes out to fish at sea and then goes straight to school, falls asleep at her desk, naturally, smells like fish, gets bullied, and she's just known as the girl of a deaf family and she's needlessly bullied by a bunch of comic book bullies Mm -hmm. this is um an important time for her because she's 17 she's going to be going to college i believe she's i don't think it says if she's a junior or senior right i think next year she's going to college right i don't remember whatever it's imminent whatever we know that yeah College is coming, so she's got to start figuring out what she wants to do with her own life. Is she abandoning her family? What does she really owe her family, just based solely on the fact that they're related and she can hear? Um, You know, she she has a passion for singing, and she's very nervous about sharing this, but she decides to join the choir at school anyways because her crush is there. Mm Uh, Connor from Sing Street. <laughs> oh shit, is that him? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, Ferdio, Ferdio Walsh Pilo is uh, back. He was Connor in Sing Street, and now he's immigrated to the U.S. to 
singing the choir. I didn't recognize him without his rad glam punk makeup. You know, <laughs> like. But he had his. But he had his guitar. Yeah, yeah it's right there. Yeah. So he's back. It was awesome. Um, yeah, she she's discovered as a talent by her uh, choir teacher. He sees something in her, wants to give her private lessons so she can get into Berkeley uh, Music and uh, Singing Academy, basically in Boston, which is you know close by, I think, because like I said, they're in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Whatever, yeah. What's gonna happen? Is she gonna get into Berkeley? She's got an audition. Is she going to let her family down by trying to pursue this new life in a thing that they don't understand because they can't hear? Drama ensues. Denny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I've introduced like a lot of core uh, conflicts in this movie. How do you feel about this movie in general? Um, I I like it. I think it's a good movie. It's definitely like... it's part of a genre that I really don't enjoy, which is drama, um, especially like uh, you know a little 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 bit. If they're respectful enough that I wouldn't say it qualifies as this, but there are some elements of disease of the week, you know. Like, but uh, I didn't feel like the movie existed like to monetize uh, uh, people who are deaf, you know. Like, um, but right. Um, if anything, I think it shed new light, and there's something cool I'll get into about that. But like. Um, I think much like Nomadland, it suffered from the weight of being best picture for me. Um, it's yeah. <laughs> like, um, story wise, I thought there was something very powerful going on. And also like in terms of storytelling, like they, they told us that was, it was very, uh, very unfamiliar to see like this much sign language in a movie. And I thought that was like a really cool choice, but also like in terms of filmmaking from a technical standpoint, like cinematography, uh, score, yada, yada. Like I didn't really feel like there was anything going on here, you know, like very, not, not bad, but very over the plate. And because it had like a really strong story and some good performances and just like a, a uniqueness factor of, um, featuring so many people who are living with a disability and, and kind of showing us the world through their eyes. Um, that that carried it to being something that was really good but like as far as like there's like even like the choir teacher seems like a character from an snl skit you know like he's like wearing his scarf and complaining about his latte you know (laughs) like it's like what what was um, that all about like talk about a wannabe whiplash situation right more more on mr villalobos later but i i want to touch on like the overall tone of this movie it is like you were saying perfectly competently made there is nothing wrong with the filmmaking at all but this movie does have a feel like apple bought lifetime right yes perfectly described yes yeah it's just it's a very cheesy movie maybe a decom like maybe like a very predictable kind of teen drama but there's like such a real element about Mm -hmm. like the deaf community that like kind of sends it over the edge to make it like i'm not rolling my eyes yeah yeah but 
this is all stuff I've seen before. It feels like a teen drama that's elevated in a certain way. Perfect description. By, by very well communicating a very real sort of drama in just this overburdened 17-year-old. Yeah. So. And when the feeling is real, you can get away with a lot. You know, like that... that it doesn't just like I, I like that you said elevated it because it really does make a big difference. Like this doesn't feel mm. like it doesn't feel like a decom, but it kind of should. You know, like it's yeah, like but it doesn't like it. That's totally where it doesn't. started. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. What, it feels like it started out as like a, a Hallmark Channel original movie, mm-hmm. and then like good screenwriters and like came on board and made like a much better story mostly yeah and and like it's yeah like i said perfectly well made and everything totally um give give me some more thoughts especially you've Um, already seen it so this was the second watch give me give me some mature thoughts this is this is weird man so i watched this movie before it had even one best picture so i was going in blind to this deaf movie Mm -hmm. (laughs) i helen kellered this movie fucking jesus man that's that's the worst since the Louis C.K. joke. No, that one was way worse. <laughs> Over the line. Uh, Market apples foul. and oranges, baby. <laughs> Market zero. Um, but yeah. Um, shoot, where was I going? <laughs> you, you were finding your way it's, to that horrible, offensive joke. Is what you were doing. This is a, I'll, I'll pivot to something nice. Ooh, that's nice. And say that you, you really channel your inner Shirley Bennett watching this movie. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very cute. It has undeniable charm. Uh, as somebody that has now seen it twice, this does not command a rewatch. Uh, yeah, I think. could have seen that coming. This, this is a once movie. But it, it speaks to two things. Number one... This isn't, like, such an engaging and interesting story that it needs to be revisited. But it's very well told, so I feel like I remember everything well enough yeah. that one watch-through was good enough for me. Yeah. Right? So it's, like, it's a high-quality version of, like, kind of a basic thing. So it's just like, okay, I've seen it once. I got it. Yeah. And stuff sticks with you really well. But on a second watch through, you're like, I I knew what was going to happen the first time I watched it. And now that I've seen it once, I definitely know what's going to happen. So, yeah, why am I watching this twice? Yeah. For a podcast. (laughs) That's why. As you're saying that, I'm like, I remember Kodo way better than Hannibal. Um, yes. You know, movies that I watched a day apart uh, this week. I I, I remember (laughs) Coda way more clearly. You're you're absolutely right. Yeah. I think there was parts when we were talking about Hannibal where I was like, wait, which part? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but not not with this one. I think if I had stuck with just the one time, I think I would have felt the same way. Yeah. Uh, I remembered a lot of the same parts. Um, I kind of want to touch on maybe my main issue with this movie like mm-hmm. like you said uh what was your friend's name that really recommended this lauren movie? beasley dorish lauren beasley dorish already so lauren like feeling such a strong emotional connection to this movie is understandable this is a feel-good movie 
that does make you feel good mm -hmm. in a sense right like it's easily to get it's easy to get emotionally invested oh, in this movie. i cried three times like and i don't cry in a lot of movies like that that's there yeah yeah absolutely emotional connection is there like something about me i've got uh my uncle he was born deaf uh he's had surgery where he can um he can hear but you basically have to shout at him mm -hmm. and he is also uh autistic mm -hmm. so it's it's very difficult to communicate with him and then i've had a, f a more than a couple of co-workers who are also deaf and uh it was especially tough like when covid hit when i was working with them like it was specifically one woman that could read lips very very well mm -hmm. and then we had a mask mandate at work and it was like, oh no fuck how do we talk to her um yeah it was it was a very tough time for her it's just like and it's something like i felt very strongly about like the the deaf community is is one that i empathize with greatly mm -hmm. like and i have my whole life and i think uh, they're very well represented here. Like you were saying, it doesn't feel like disease of the week, yeah. and I would agree with that. Oh, big time! Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was I was building up to a very different point here, so oh. uh, I just I just wanted to qualify yeah, yeah, my yeah. my connect my emotional connection with kind of the crux of this movie. So I want to get your thoughts on here, Mr. Villalobos, right? Our choir director. Yeah. Like you were saying, he tries to go a little bit whiplash on Ruby a little bit. Yeah. Where he's just like... It, it's made clear in a scene earlier in the movie when she finally comes to him and sings privately for him. Mm -hmm. He's like, so you're the girl whose family is deaf, mm -hmm. right? So he knows her situation. Yeah. And oh, like shit. ahead of time. Plot hole. I didn't catch it. More you on? did. Go on. Ah, more on this. Oh, you might need to elaborate because I'm going in a new direction. Sorry, it's the thing you just said that like a lot of the movie is based on her not asking for help and not like communicating how much pressure she's under, um, and yet like on some level he already knows that, right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, like that's what's weird. It feels like other than like she has a she has a friend at school, and then Mr. Villalobos like their relationship as it grows he should be the one that understands her struggle the most yeah he's starting to give her private lessons like i love your tone we just need to get it under control unlock your passion for singing so i'm going to give you private lessons in my home and he is just like th this is all like i'm this girl is discovering her new talent and starting to believe in herself at the same time her family business is struggling and her dad like they're they're fed up with um, the business of the fish market that they work in that she also works in she's stuck in between these two worlds and things are like coming to a head in both of these and she's kind of she kind of has to choose mm -hmm. between like these two major major things that are going on in her life so why then is this choir teacher who knows about this issue just like lambasting her about like you can't make private rehearsals on time i make time for you yeah what the fuck are you doing and just like no wiggle room yeah no room for understanding he's extremely demanding and she's just like 
I'm trying to keep my physically impaired family from becoming homeless. Yeah. Why are you so mad about this? Well, I, I will say she didn't she didn't communicate the new financial stressors. Um, you know, like that they were having to run their own business. Like she didn't say like I'm sorry, my mom literally told me I couldn't leave the house. You know, like what am I supposed to do? They said I had to be there to to interpret a news interview. Like she didn't she didn't tell him that dimension of it. Um she did, I guess she doesn't get specific, but he knows that there's an issue and they like it's shown that they text each other right like they have each other's yeah, yeah. like they, they they show that they have text conversations so it's gotta it it had to have come up like hey we're getting audited or like screened by like an oversight person i i, I got the on, impression on the today i got the impression that she didn't tell him I mean, like, you could be right, too. You know, like, I would think maybe they, they never explicitly said, like, they never had a moment where she was like, I just can't let him know how much I'm struggling. You know, but, like, I, I got the impression that, like, part of the problem was implied that she's under way too much stress and responsibility and she won't tell anyone about it. You know, like, because she doesn't want it to be a thing. She's trying to keep it secret. I... I agree with you there. I don't think it's ever explicitly stated. I think I got a little bit less of that mm. um, sort of sense. I I thought he was being very unreasonably demanding when he, at the very bare minimum, knew that she was the only hearing person in a deaf family. Yeah, yeah. At the at the bare minimum, he knew that. So, if there's like you know days where she's late she will tell him like there's a family issue going on yeah and he seems very not willing to understand that from a character like you said out of a fucking lifetime movie that's just like my latte was terrible um it's just like a very um flamboyant character in just terms of presentation and everything yeah it's just, he seems like such a, a free-spirited and like light-hearted character that he's suddenly very stern and serious like it's just yeah it's tricky but this isn't the main conflict of the film so it's less of an issue for me but it does take me out of a couple things well that's the thing i, I felt like they couldn't really decide how we were supposed to feel about his character um mm -hmm. because there was part of me that thought they were like gonna go whiplash you know like and have her like <laughs> recognize that like He's a fucking abusive monster, um, and that she can sing without going to Berkeley and support her family if they learn to just, uh, you know, be a little more considerate of her and have some more boundaries. You know, like I, I kind of there was like moments when I thought maybe this guy's supposed to be the bad guy. <laughs> you know, like and then then at the at the yeah. at the uh, what you call it the the audition. Um, he's like loving and sweet, you know, like, and then they just switch back to like, he's absolutely nothing but supportive and wonderful and nice. It was very abrupt yeah. and very, yeah, yeah, very, yeah. uh, inconsistent. What are you looking at? There's not a fucking Skaggs record down there. <laughs> <laughs> um, Oh, I will fuck you like a grouper fish. <laughs> um, <laughs> Damn it. Um, Jesus. 
Dude, J.K. Simmons should have played that role. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Would have been amazing. It, it's it's just a poor... Reprise the role. <laughs> the, the performance is perfectly fine, but it's a very poorly written character. And he's really the only thing that feels super decom about the movie. Like, he seems like he's from a more superficial film. You know, like, he seems like yeah. a character from a different movie. Like, yeah. everyone else is like, uh, you know, except for Boyfriend, who constantly is like, don't you know? My family's having trouble, and so I'm troubled by all the trouble that's having been being had. Um, he seems he does seem a little bit more laid back about it, but I will yeah. argue and say that the only other decom characters feel that I get here is the school bullies who are absolute pieces of shit. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> got monsters, but the like her and her family, and whenever they're with the fishermen, you know, like. Um, all of that feels like very sincere and very like mm-hmm. in reality. And maybe it's just her going to school. Um, maybe she goes to like uh, I don't know, fucking Sky High or Lizzie <laughs> McGuire's high school, and that's just the that way everything true. is there. <laughs> you know? Like maybe she does. Um, I want to be Elizabeth McGuire. It's <laughs> fucking awesome. Oh, man. If you could be anyone other than American Psychota too. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I like all American, all American interpreter. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I'm going to segue you saying the title of the movie into this. Um, I actually like American Psychota. <laughs> yes. Um, what I heard, what I thought of when I heard the title of the movie, I wasn't familiar with the acronym for these purposes. No, um, Coda is the name of uh, Codependency Anonymous. Um, and mm. I thought that was a nice little touch because uh, this movie is about her family's codependency. Um, it's all about the, like, uh, I can't tell the difference between my needs and your needs, you know, like within the whole family. Um, <laughs> they all feel like the same thing to me. Um, and so if your needs aren't my needs, then I have a meltdown, right? Like, that's that's what so much of it was. Um and that's something I loved about the movie um, and something I thought was really smart and something that they, they seem to understand fundamentally. Um, I've had I've had plenty of clients who, who came from the situation of this protagonist where because uh, like it's like parentizing a child is bad. Kids are supposed to get to live like kids. And when you when they have to yeah. do adult things, it, it harms them. Right. Um, and so. I've had a lot of weird situations where it's one thing to parentize a kid because, like, you're an irresponsible jackass and the kid just um, figures out on their own they have to handle some stuff. What were you going to say? Real quick, what is, what is, what is parentize? Um, ba- because it's something I'm not familiar with. I want to make sure everyone's on the same page. It's um, basically when a kid has to take on adult responsibilities in the family. Um, okay. Yeah. And, you know, and a lot of the time it'll be, like, uh, essentially, like, raising another kid or... Um, if you know, like a parent is an alcoholic, um, the kid not only has to like make sure the other children get fed, but that like the parent, like someone has to like drag the parent to bed and maybe try to curb their drinking. Um, so it's one thing for that to happen because a parent is like an irresponsible alcoholic, for example, or like emotionally immature and treats the kid like an adult and like vents to them about adult problems, you know, like that, that stuff fucks up kids. But, yeah. but something that is a really hard situation for uh, plenty of my clients to have navigated is like when they were parentized because a parent had a disability um, and it's like 
one parent had to work because like on top of supporting the family there were like more medical bills and stuff um and also like and like the things that the children and the families were required to do were things that like for real needed to be done and there was no one else to do them you know like it's like uh, hiring helps not really an option so you have kids taking care of disabled or very sick parents and then they'll come to therapy and they'll be like uh i'm confused about how i feel about this because like right. on the one hand it absolutely robbed me of my childhood and my individuality and created a lot of guilt and codependency and on the other hand like no one was abusing me you know like it was like mm -hmm. it was like i get it like my one parent was probably working their ass off more than I even knew. My other parent was disabled and there wasn't a lot of money to go around. So like literally the kids had to do like caretaker work. And it, it, it and so like, it's, it's a complex emotional experience for like many, many clients that I've had of like, what do I do about how, like on some level I was traumatized by this. And yet like, I don't resent, my parent for being disabled i don't resent my mom because she worked yeah. her ass off to keep things going like i i just don't know what to do with this complex emotional experience and um it was something that this movie got perfectly like to me yeah like, perfectly okay. represented um Good. like I, I go ahead that 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 was my question i was gonna ask I was going to, like, qualify the question and say like i was also confused about how i should be feeling yeah like the Again, mental health is not my profession in any way, shape, or form, mm -hmm. but I feel the same things you're describing. I, like, when I empathize with the main character, Ruby, I'm just like, I feel for her and I understand her situation, and exactly what you're saying was just like, her parents aren't wrong, but she is being robbed of something. Yeah. It's something that's very hard to come to terms with, and I wanted to ask you how the movie presented it and it sounds like they did an excellent job with that yeah on the money in ways that i've never seen before and I, I think it was very intentional because i noticed this was also something i've never experienced in a movie about a disability or a disease or a disorder or what have you um for significant portions of the movie they made you resent the disabled people you know like they they really <laughs> yeah they really showed the like complexity of the dynamic in a way that I thought was remarkable. Whereas like these characters who are very, very likable, very funny, typically very laid back people. Um, mm -hmm. they also show you that they're like yeah. clicky it's bullies because, it's because they have personality. Yeah. 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 But they're also like capable of being like totally elitist. Um, they literally, we watch them exclude their daughter and like, um, take very little interest in her or anything she cares about and just like utilize her for a skill that's essential we see it the whole movie and we're told it's been happening her entire life and they see her get like mm -hmm. and we see them get like upset the second she finds something they like or something that she really loves that doesn't benefit them in any way and they like it, have it, a meltdown about it you know like yeah not only that doesn't benefit them but they just completely do not understand yeah it is fundamentally something that they cannot possibly understand yeah um yeah but that 
<sighs> but that leads to one of my favorite scenes in the movie, which is the little concert they give, like the little choir concert that they give. Yes. And it's something that I thought the movie was doing. So basically, she's, you know, she's starting to make her private lesson. She's in the choir. Mom buys her a dress. They have a very good conversation, I think, about how the mom was worried about um, her daughter not being deaf mm -hmm. because mom was worried I wouldn't that she wouldn't be able to connect with her daughter the same way that the deaf mom could not connect with her hearing mother mm -hmm. and she was kind of worried for the same thing yeah, so that was it, great it, they really like explain it's it's so cool that we get a scene with that like emotional depth that's all done through subtitles and sign language mm -hmm. right like that you can just feel that so I thought that scene was excellent mm -hmm. Um, so they're starting to kind of understand each other. And then we go to, like, but, yeah, the whole crux of that scene is she's bought her daughter a dress. She's bought Ruby a dress to wear for her choir recital. Mm -hmm. And they go. They just are watching. They're not really understanding anything. They're just like, well, like, maybe she's singing good. We don't really know. Mm -hmm. And there's a point where they're like, because, you know, sign language doesn't make noise. But if you see someone signing across a room, you know what they're saying. Yes. And they're, like, talking about what should we have for dinner. They're, like, signing. The mom and the dad are signing to each other while the daughter's performing. What should we have for dinner? And I thought the daughter was going to see that and be, like, I thought it was going to be another thing of just, like, they don't care about this. Yep. They don't get this. I thought it was going to be, like, a real downfall for Ruby. But it wasn't which is kind of weird that they included that in the first place but then like the characters the the parents look around and during her duet with uh connor from seeing street and <laughs> realize like everyone's having emotional reactions to their daughter singing and they're just like holy shit maybe she's really got something yeah what a cool moment of understanding i forget where i started and i forget where i was going denny what was I talking about? Um, well, you were t honestly, you were talking about exactly what I thought you were talking about, which was um, just that that scene and how it like captures the bridging of a gap. And uh, you said it, and I was like, oh, ah, yes. I need to. All right, I, I need. To I accidentally got there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You did. I was like, oh, I didn't lose that at any point. That all tracked. Um, it was. Uh, I need to take back what I said when there when I said there was nothing going on in terms of score. Um, that that was a great like scoring choices in that moment to just complete like right when you start hearing the music and you know it's good to cut it to completely silence um and then finally let us into their world you know like the the whole time we're seeing the movie through the lens of a hearing person and then for just a brief moment after they've made you like resent these people for their you know like just um what's the word i'm looking for um, uh, close-mindedness maybe or just like uh, complete mm -hmm. uh, they're very um, towards their daughter's experience they're very obtuse I think is the word I'm looking for you know and you like yeah. resent they're them. very dismissive of it they're just like um, singing's a waste of time yeah and they're like kind of, determined yeah. to stay dismissive of it you know like they like yeah. that's where the obtuse comes from just like impossible to reason with you know and mm -hmm. then after they get some heat on them they show you the world through their eyes and they show you what it took for them to understand what was going on, right? Like to understand that something beautiful is happening. 
is and they do it all through reactions right like it's all just facial expressions and uh then you know dad leaps up first to clap right you know like standing ovation mm-hmm. like oh my god i and he stays standing because he doesn't know when to stop yeah it. yeah it's like that's beautiful the last 10 to 15 minutes of this movie just make me forget about all the things i would have complained about in the movie you know like i'm just like Mm -hmm. emotionally speaking uh because like that's the thing is the emotions that they pay off um are are very earned like i I feel like they were they were uh they were they were putting in the work for those reactions that were happening at the end the whole movie and that's that's what really mattered about the movie to me you know like it's all the Mm -hmm. all the stuff with the family and her conflicts with them covers a lot of sins you know covers a lot of things that weren't so great very well stated all right um yeah i mentioned that duet song i was very glad that we didn't hear that song that she was doing a duet with mm-hmm. during that performance because I got tired of that song very fast. <laughs> I actually, I really liked the songs. I, I could have listened to I, it more. I, I think narratively it was kind of a cool thing to have like the song that they worked on in practice mm-hmm. be presented silently. I think that was like a really cool presentation. Yeah. And then also it was a reprieve for me because I was tired of fucking hearing it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's just me. That's just me. No, I'm, I'm with you, dude. Um, uh, this, this is you... what it just keeps coming back to for me. Power of the Dog, Licorice Pizza, and Nightmare Alley are all better than this movie by a lot. Okay, yeah. yeah. By a lot. All right, cool. I've got mostly good things to say about this movie, to be honest, but it's just like best picture. And also I thought as a culture we were moving on from acapella, and I was proud of us. Uh, and here Shit. we go, bringing it right back into the forefront. Acapella is a stain on humanity. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. Uh, Ugh. Man, I, I, I will say, like, the thing that always makes me cry in movies, it's usually not, um, it's usually not sadness that makes me cry. It's the, the relentless love, you know, just like overpowering resilient determined love like that's the everything everywhere all at once right those like uh spoiler 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 those moments spoilers uh of like uh you know i think in another life i could have been really happy folding laundry and doing taxes with you and the like if we were in a universe where life didn't evolve i would find a way to show you i love you you know like that's the stuff that that really gets just like me weeping and there was so much of that at the end of the just like just like what like when they were like running to the car to make it to the audition i was sitting in my chair doing the daniel bryan like yes 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 like i was like Mm -hmm. cheering them on yeah like like legitimately being like get there make it happen there was just like so much authentic and sincere love put into the finale of this movie that I, I was just I crazy thought, uh, I thought the scene you were going to be referencing, which is my favorite one, and I'll get to, like, Oscar implications here in a second, mm-hmm. but, like, uh, Troy Kotzer, he's he won an Oscar for his performance in this movie. He plays the dad. And the scene where he's in, like, right after that recital, they go, they drive back home, and he's just, like, I want to hang out outside for a second. Oh. And Ruby oh. just like 
hangs out, stays outside with him, talks to him, and they have a conversation. And she sings for him, and he's, like, feeling her vocal cords, her neck, her chest, to just, like, try to feel what she's singing. And he was just like, what's the song you sang? What is it about? Because obviously he couldn't hear it. And that is the perfect scene of this movie that I think won him an Oscar, maybe won the movie an Oscar. It's just like, I emotionally connect that scene so well. It was harder to watch on the second watch through. That was the scene that I thought was like made watching it a second time completely worth it. For sure. Dude, uh, just echo everything you said. That scene is so powerful and wonderful. And that was also something where, like, the theme of the song being about, like, someone who loves someone so much they do anything for them. Um, that, you know, it was something I didn't catch. And then they revealed it to me that it was like they've been really making you listen to this song a whole lot. So you would, like, have a pretty good idea of what it's about when they reveal it. You know, like, that That was... Oh. Oh, just money. Great, great writing, great performances, great, great narrative moment. I was a big fan of that moment. Yeah, absolutely. All right. You said you wanted to get into Oscar implications. Yeah, I mentioned that Troy Kotzer, he did win an Oscar for that, for that moment. I, I, I think. Um, but I, I think I said during our Oscar episode that I I was sure that Power of the Dog was going to run away with most of the awards, yeah. especially Cody Smith McPhee, who lost to this performance in this movie. Yeah. I still maintain that he should have won the Oscar, Cody Smith McPhee, for Power of the Dog. Um, or Jesse Plemons, also from Power of the Dog, <laughs> for the same supporting nominee. But, like, it's just one that I don't really have a problem with, mm-hmm. you know? at least for the performance on the best picture level kind of like we had mentioned before i think i saw two or three better movies this year i didn't see licorice pizza yet i still haven't seen it but i don't even like licorice pizza that much and i think it's better than this (laughs) (laughs) um i I would put this on par with nightmare alley but i thought power of the dog was just significantly better and more interesting Mm -hmm. And definitely, like, a movie that the Academy would pick to win awards like this. So I was a little surprised. But, like, you know, there's years where, you know, your favorite movie came out. And you look at what won Best Picture that year and you're like, what the fuck were they thinking? Like, clearly this is better. And this is one that I'm like... I don't think the better movie won, but I'm not mad that this one won, if that makes sense. I like this movie a lot, and I think it's a good movie. I can think of better movies from that year that weren't nominated, such as Pig. Um, Oh, my God. Part of me wonders... Go ahead. Pig was better. Pig was way better than this. I need to watch that movie again. Yeah, go ahead. There's... I don't like this part of me, because it's kind of cynical, and I I don't want... I also, like... I I never want to discredit anyone's achievements honestly like i'd I'd love to be like hey you earned this on your own part of me finds it a little bit convenient that an apple tv movie won and there's literally no other way to watch it than subbing to apple tv i wonder Mm. if uh i wonder if apple padded that lope 
Um, so so idiots would get two subscriptions instead of one. Um, <laughs> like, yeah. Do we want to give the Netflix film best picture or maybe this yeah. new service? It just yeah. it just seemed a little fishy to me that it was like. When, when I was, like, searching for it, and I was like, there's literally no other way to watch it than Apple TV. Like, that's the only place it is. I can't, like, pay money for it. And it could just be, like, hey, they didn't, they, they knew they had, you know, something valuable on their hands, so they didn't release any rights to anybody else. Like, it, it could just be that. All I'm saying is it struck me as a little convenient. Um, I wonder if there was some Steve Jobs money patting that lope, you know? Um, I wonder if uh, there was a for your consideration briefcase of money or something. Uh, <laughs> That's right. So I don't know, man. I, I'd like I'd like for that to not be true. And I, if if that if that's not true and it took away from the merit of anyone's accomplishments, I apologize because it's just I don't know it. It's just a it's just a hmm, I wonder. Um, and I would yeah. never want to like put an asterisk on something that doesn't need it. You know. Yeah, most definitely. Dude, um, yeah, I would also hate to have kind of like that cynical view on things, but it, it does make sense. I understand what you're saying. All all this really just has me excited for like next year's Oscars, just because like how many absolutely fucking incredible movies have come out. This what a year? year 2022 has been! Like, holy <laughs> shit, uh, we're not even to award season. <laughs> like yeah, nowhere near it. We're halfway done with the year. Like Sonic Two. No pe- <laughs> Nope hasn't even come out yet. Oh, like, <laughs> don't get we, me started on how much I want to see Nope. Oh it looks God. so like we, fucking good. We've already gotten everything everywhere all at once. The Northmen. Unbearable weight oh of massive God. talent. Un- unbearable weight. X, oh my God. Um, the Batman's going to get nominated. Like, it's like, I don't even like the Batman that much, but it was a pretty good movie. You know, like, it's just men's probably gonna get some yeah. recognition crimes yeah. of the future like david cronenberg made a fucking movie this year when's the last time he did that you know like it's yeah, yeah. and sonic the hedgehog too yeah. like he said so <laughs> light year <laughs> sure so <laughs> jurassic yeah, world dominion i can't believe we have so many fantastic films at our disposal mm-hmm mm-hmm ah <sighs> I don't think I have anything else on Coda. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm good to hit gimmicks. All right, cool. Uh, Denny, what is your favorite improvement f- for Coda? Um, keeping in mind that we are comparing it to Nomadland. Um, <laughs> I, I'd have to give it um, the plot and the fact that it existed. Um, uh-huh. Nobody said he liked rocks. Um, that was that was a good a good choice because she liked rocks. God. I think I think that was my favorite line. <laughs> yeah, I think it was too. Um, no, I'll, I'll give it to um, a moment when I thought they moved they moved like filmmaking forward a little bit, which was we already discussed the the scene when she's on stage and uh, we're seeing the world without sound, very much through the eyes of of her family. And I thought uh, I was like, hey, I really like I don't think I've ever seen this done in a movie before. I'm not saying it hasn't been done. I'm saying I never saw it. You know, like and I, I thought that was. Uh, that was a moment of something really fresh and really original and really creative. So I'm going to give that to Gimmick. Yeah, it was solid. Uh, but please, for the love of God, can we fucking watch Sound of Metal already? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to change my gimmick aren't I? retroactively. Printer retraction. All I'm going to say. Okay. They were probably getting made at the same time. So full credit to this movie for exactly what you just yep. said. 
Um, real ants bugs life situation <laughs> real uh just go with it and friends with benefits situation <laughs> <laughs> more, more iconic i would yeah i i think i think those are the two movies whatever yeah. you know what i'm talking about <laughs> uh, my favorite improvement is actually memorable scenes <laughs> Nuff said, <laughs> like, I remembered things that happened in this movie, even though they were entirely too cheesy at certain points. I remembered the things that happened. Nomadland was just a sequence of people not performing. And yeah. Do you like doing stuff? Well, they do some stuff for a while in this movie. So. Francis, Francis McDormand knocking out of the park with a bunch of people simply being on camera. So <laughs> Two years in a row, Best Picture is fucking... <laughs> had some issues man <laughs> exactly but this com- comparing the two this was way better blows oh, it up infinitely water. yeah um, definitely actually memorable scenes is my favorite improvement. <laughs> what's uh what's your favorite line because there were lots of there were lots of good lines in this movie lots of absolutely wonderful lines yeah there are some pretty solid ones uh my first one is a spoken line from mr villalobos this is not the Pledge of Allegiance. This is a love song. That was good. Trying to unlock some passion. <laughs> but my favorite line is signed, and it is, Tinder is something we can all do as a family. <laughs> um, I, I had some, some runners up. Um, one is, uh, buy twat waffle. Um, <laughs> second runner up is you know why God made farts smell so deaf people can enjoy them too while taking oh, a deep whiff yeah. of, uh, of his own scent um, but I'm going to do something that I really relate to from having to watch a lot of children do talent shows around the time Pitch Perfect was popular oh. Oh fuck! Oh, I know exactly the line you're gonna say. If you start beatboxing and doing that clapping or that cupping thing, we're done. Yes, yes. that was a like I see you Avatar was... moment. Like you too understand my suffering. <laughs> Do you know how many I was a... fucking shitty little eight year olds I watched like knock some cups over and. fucking hate that song you're gonna miss me by my hair you're gonna miss me I, I al- no stop save yourself i almost put that line down as well but god i, I landed on these two. that was validating yeah. validating <laughs> what's your what's your critic or score um yeah like i said that's uh man overall it's a good movie mm-hmm but just not great competently made acted shot written whatever yeah one time watch memorable moments a lot of emotion that i felt very strongly about but i just feel like you know it's a little too much on the cheesy side a little bit feeling feel good for the sake of making you feel good some stuff earned like a little unearned some sources of conflict not necessarily super earned mm-hmm. uh, i gave this one a 31 out of 40 nice um once again pretty similar grades with a conversion rate i gave it a, a 38 out of 50 um which you know pretty much translates to a b plus from me i thought it was really good 
Um, I thought the good was a lot more prevalent than the bad, but it just you know wasn't 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 an all timer for me. You know, and that that's yeah. kind of that's kind of where it lands. Um, very very good for what it is, but you know something that I appreciate that I have some respect for parts of that I have disrespect for other parts of and honestly probably won't watch it again but we'll tell people it's pretty good you know so yeah you know what I gained a lot of respect for was the Coast Guard <laughs> <laughs> those guys are lightning like, fast man dude one of like the most pivotal moments of conflict in the movie was just like look how fucking badass the Coast Guard is <laughs> <laughs> fucking boarded a moving vessel that was cool like like as if they were taking a step off like a curb on the sidewalk yeah. and i swear like one of the guys was like wanting to look at the camera and, like you see that cool shit yeah. <laughs> just how i live my fucking life it's like NBD. an unbroken shot of a board of a boat appearing from the horizon <laughs> and then like people stepping onto the ship like we're in charge now fucking cool very cool very very cool yeah, eat your heart out, Top Gun Maverick. This is, how you, <laughs> this is how you advertise a branch of service. Friend of the show, Will Reno, was not pleased with Top Gun Maverick. He told me all about it this weekend. Dude, I saw his review on Critiker. What, what, did, he, what did he write on Critiker? Oh my god. Okay, hold on. Uh, I'll tell you in just a second. Um, but keep in mind that I believe his brother was also uh, was in the Navy. So he's he's not like selling the navy and like the air force whatever it is not lost on yeah, him. yeah but uh his review is i have not seen someone spend so much effort into trying to convince a group of people that something is cool since middle school me blasted a pop punk beatles cover on my mini boom box outside my sister's bedroom <laughs> he gave it a four out of four <laughs> I'm going to put a little star on his review. <laughs> oh my god, I'm lightheaded. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> that is the one singular negative review I've seen on this movie, and I love it. <laughs> on Top Gun Maverick. Still haven't seen it. I'll see it. Anymore. I will probably never watch that movie. Nothing could live up to that review. <laughs> I hyperventilating over what is it? I don't want to ruin it. it. The image I have it in my, of it in my head is too perfect after that description. <laughs> Nothing could possibly fit it. I'll dive in for the both of us. Denny, oh, we did it, man. How does that feel for a celebration of a year of podcasting? Man, honestly, it, it's one of those things where I'm like, it's a milestone that doesn't feel very real because, like, I I feel like we just started doing this, you know? <laughs> like yeah, it's, it's, it's It still feels like a cool new thing. Yeah, yeah. I think you were saying last week. Yep. Oh man. Um yeah, dude, exactly the same sentiment like week in week out it's just like, oh, this is still like an early episode. We're going to learn, we're going to grow yeah. and it's just like, no, you've done a year's worth of this. And we've only missed two. I'm very proud of that. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> but like I it like listening back to the first episode and like how far we've come along. And, like, I'm sorry this is such a long episode, but we have I'm a not, trivia segment. I love it. So there. Uh, it, we're celebrating, okay? We can go as long as we want to. Sorry, not sorry. This whole podcast is for us anyways, so, like... Yeah, this, this was <laughs> never intended to be listened to I'm constantly to shocked that anyone gives a shit that we're doing this. I'm grateful. I'm appreciative. 
but I am constantly shocked. But still. Like, it, it blows my mind <laughs> that, like, you and I could sit down and be like, hello, we have a three-hour audio file of our opinions on things we like and don't like. Um, and, and maybe you've seen a couple of them. <laughs> who would like to listen and that there's, like, people in the world that are like, oh, yeah, I'll check that out. Like, that blows my mind. Like... They don't owe me any favors or anything. Uh, you know, yeah. like, it's it's pretty cool, Week man. in, week out, they want to hear our takes on fucking burnt. Because yeah. <laughs> sometimes we cover the fucking lamest shit that no one would ever care about. <laughs> hey. know, like... Don't talk about out cold that way. You know I love out uh, cold. How dare you. I know, I know you do. That's why it's embarrassing. <laughs> oh, man. All right, Denny. One year down, many more to go. But we got to start somewhere with year number. Wait, did we pick a best movie for when you've been making a podcast? Oh no, no, we didn't. No, we didn't. I'm sorry. That's a tradition. We always forget our gimmicks. Thank you for interrupting. We say it every week before we go on the air. (laughs) Forget your gimmick. Forget your gimmick. (laughs) Magical adventures, best friends forever. One two three. One two three. We do this every week. (laughs) It's a new. Uh, It's a new gimmick, people. It's my new catchphrase. I hate Denny and his new ideas most of the time. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Um, all right, best movie for when you've doing been doing a podcast for a year. I, ooh, I want to say Coda, because I think our ability to approach an entirely new property and have the discussion we just had i felt like i i loved chatting about coda like a movie that i was pretty mid on but like liked i think our conversation of it was very engaging for me at least Mm -hmm. and i feel like making something out of you know not nothing but everybody knows back to the future part two and i feel like hannibal isn't like anything special to even talk about (laughs) we did a bad job with hannibal (laughs) (laughs) because that movie did a bad job it like we i i I gotta give it to coda for this one because i think it's so much better than nomadland and yeah everything that i just said cool what do you think um i'm gonna go with back to the future 2 um simply because uh i I think a lot about infinite biff theory and it was nice to expand it after a year a year after uh a year after the original theorization um, so I'm going to go back to the future too, especially cause like, um, I, I do love like a big budget crowd pleaser, you know, from time to time. And mm-hmm. when I think of that, I can't think of anything more than back to the future. And that's why we picked it for the first episode, right? Like of what, what's mm-hmm. accessible. We don't want this to seem like pretentious bullshit that you'd have to like be like an absolute in way too deep cinephile. Uh, 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 what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? not artisan not glamour not deluxe what's boutique boutique dvd collector Ah. there we go there we go Ah, yeah yeah, we we didn't want to create that impression so i think we've kept it pretty strong like we haven't done like a lot of art film and the art film we have done has been like pretty universally accessible we haven't done any like eraser head or mulholland drive or you know synecdoche new york Uh, (laughs) so yeah back to the future too yeah, I just felt like Coda was like more of a representation of what we can do with a movie that a, an average amount of people may have seen and covered. Mm-hmm. Back to the Future 2 has probably been covered to death 
we're here to talk about your burnts, your iron giants, your rescuers down under. <laughs> I forgot we did rescuers down under. Yeah, yeah, there you go. You're the trust, like shit that just like isn't attention grabbing or like clickbaity, but we're gonna talk about it and give it a full discussion. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I pick it for that, but yeah, back to the future part two. I totally understand your argument there, so I'm not mad. Cool, cool, Greg. Well, what are we doing next week? Are you ready to tell the people? Oh, yes, I'm ready. (laughs) Denny, bad news. What? On an episode very early on, we already covered a movie called Independence Day. Yes. Because next week, we'll be releasing the episode on July 2nd. Uh, First or second, I'm sorry. I can't remember. It's July 4th weekend. It's a very patriotic week. It's a sign... Since we've already done Independence Day, we have to pick another American film featuring an American hero, reluctant as he may be. A strong narrative about an American hero, a legend, filmmaker, a visioner. This is very distracting. Don't do this oh, sorry. I was, I was trying to give you a background. I, I I'm sorry. Keep going. <laughs> I can't, I can't talk. I'm sorry. That's all I hear. Uh, I can't talk in here at the same time. My bad. Uh, <laughs> uh, just a movie that reveres a pivotal institution in America's fabric. I am, of course, talking about The Postman. <laughs> oh, baby. Movies movies for when it's the fourth of july we're only doing one movie one, and buddy it's but it's the length the of three movies <laughs> you'll get all you is it? Of it yeah we already did independence day so the natural re- progression of things is the postman for america f- shit <laughs> <laughs> good god Oh my god, this, I cannot wait. Guys, if y'all haven't heard of it, this is one of those things where I'm just going to need you to trust us. Um, like, <laughs> just need people to trust us. This is, this is like, watch it for 4th of July, and then listen to our next episode. Like, I, I promise you'll want to process it with someone. <laughs> like, just, it's not a popular movie, it's... Usually we would do something way bigger for a single movie episode. Uh, this is this. I, I don't want to. I don't want to give away any talking points. Like Greg and I already have a really, really thorough knowledge of the Postman. I think it's like. I think it's one of the first movies we watched. We watched together that we really were like. Wait, we need to break down like every detail of this. Oh, yeah. You know, like, like this is fascinating. <laughs> let's let's turn this three-hour movie into a three-hour discussion that's this is the movie that i'm sure sparked a lot of ideas on our heads for making the podcast in the first place so let me know if that mail ever gets delivered movies for when boys (laughs) holy shit that's that's what we're reacting to that's driving us through life is seeing the postman We were pre-men, and then we had to. <laughs> then while we we're watched now it, post post postman man. <laughs> you you know Vanessa unironically likes that movie, right? I, a lot of people do, and I'm a little surprised about her, but yeah, like a, I know a lot of people that 
like this movie. It was uh, it was watched a lot in her family. We might need to have her on the show with us next week because um, it was like someone recorded okay. it off, yeah. off TV and they just watched it over and over and over again. Um, and so, like Vanessa, like it's she's she's a treasure trove of surprising, interesting things that she has a lot of thoughts and feelings about and knows a lot about and. I on I think we kind of need her on the show for next week. Like she's gonna she's gonna really, really give us some insight that I don't think you and I would arrive at at our own. Yeah, if we're gonna do movies we watched on like VHS rerun, I can't wait to do uh, Ernest Rides again. So <laughs> is it as good <laughs> as Ernest Rides? TV. <laughs> oh my god! How can you follow that? That's a real Silence of the Lambs Hannibal situation. They weren't in the barrel. They were in the barrel. <laughs> the keg barrel. All right. Um, <laughs> shut me up, please, Denny. <sighs> Let's celebrate an anniversary, a year, still in its infancy. The one thing that has evolved is the catchphrase. Oh, boy, has it ever. Um, um, for Greg work. The Legwork Johnson. I'm Denny the Talent Taylor. And this has been Movies for When? We just spent a year telling you when. But you know what we didn't tell you? What's my cage again? Take care.